it's from zero to one. It's Peter Thiel's book. And he says, Mm -hmm. if you do start your own company, you must remember the power law to operate it well. The most important things are singular. One market will probably be better than all others. And then this is your point. One distribution strategy usually dominates all others too. Hello again and welcome. I'm Eric Jorgensen, and I don't know much, but I have some smart friends. This show explores technology, investing, entrepreneurship, and personal growth to help you and the rest of humanity create a brighter, more abundant future. This podcast is one of a few different things I work on. Uh, You can check out my book, blog, newsletter, or invest alongside us in early stage tech companies. That's all at ejorgensen.com. Today, Uh, We're trying something new. We're combining two previous guests, David Senra of the Founders Podcast and Midridge, an accountant, financial planner, and mogul at Baldridge Financial. David and Mitchell and I have spent a ton of time offline uh, together, had conversations about business, investing, our projects, our ideas, and we thought it'd be really fun to bring that to the podcast and have this conversation with you too. Uh, So in this episode, we talk about accounting, podcasting, a ton of content creation, uh, how sort of creators can monetize, how they grow. Mitchell started a new company in the last couple months, uh, basically because businesses are underserved by the old school bookkeeping method. And he's trying to internetify we, that. We talk about it a bunch. It's it's really interesting. We note that uh, he is moving steadily towards some high leverage business models. I think there's a lesson for all of us in that. And David shares a ton of the tactics he's using for growing the Founders Podcast. If you listen to my interview with him, a lot has changed in the last couple months uh, since that has come out. So really interesting to sort of hear his life update. One of the ways David is growing the Founders Podcast is to be a guest on podcasts like mine, but another is sponsoring podcasts like mine also. Founders is the sponsor of this episode as well. So here is the part that he paid me for. I'm a super fan of the Founders Podcast. It is now my most listened to podcast. David Senra, the host and my friend, is a biography reading machine. He has read hundreds of entrepreneurs and founders biographies from all across history. And this podcast is him talking through his notes, quotes, and key insights from each book. Uh, It's kind of like having a smart, obsessive friend call you and tell you all the interesting things he learned this week from the books and documentaries he's watching. David's superpower is connecting stories and patterns and seeing habits that emerge between Steve Jobs, Andrew Carnegie, Charlie Munger, Estee Lauder, everybody that he reads. This guy's an encyclopedia of knowledge. If you don't have time to spend 40 hours reading every new book that Walter Isaacson writes, listening to David's recaps is the next best thing. David would say it's not a replacement and it's not, but it's the next best thing. And you can get a founder's story or at least an overview in an hour or two. It used to be a paid podcast. If you've heard me do an ad for them before, or you remember David's interview, uh, but David recently switched to an ad-based podcast. It is open for everybody. So search founders in any podcast player and find the podcast with the white script and the black background. Pick an episode that sounds interesting to you. One of his all-time most popular episodes is Estee Lauder. He's got a bunch on Steve Jobs. Ed Thorpe is a great episode. It's his personal blueprint. Ed Thorpe is the most probably successful and balanced of all the founders, uh, which I think is very interesting. And if you're a fan of my book, David also has an episode on the Almanac of Naval. Thank you so much for supporting the sponsors that help make this show possible. And I'm careful to only pick sponsors whose products I enjoy and believe in. Uh, You will learn a lot more about David in this episode with him and Mitchell. 
I think by tomorrow you'll be a super fan of his too. If you enjoy this conversation and want to be a part of a community who talks about stuff like this all the time, please go to ejorgensen.com. Enjoy this conversation arriving at your ears in three, two, one. I'm so excited to talk to you guys. And I think we need to start by thanking David for sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> uh, thank you, David. You're welcome. I don't know if you officially agreed to that before I said that, but you have to do it now because you're on the record. I told I'm on the record never. as having volunteered you to sponsor it. And here we are. I told you and I told your our mutual friend, Chris Powers, who I met through you, I was like, never send out an episode without an ad. Just text me first. I will take all your ad inventory that you have. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> you don't even have to ask. Just be like, hey, I'm doing a podcast. I put an ad there. Here's the here's the straight payment. <laughs> like, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is this and Chris Powers. Do you have any other podcasts that are in that that rarefied list for you or, or people? I'm working on a few. Okay. I will take it if you are listening to this and you have a podcast that you want an advertiser on, just get in touch with me. I will advertise on your podcast. I, I think this is like I'm really excited to see to like watch you do this because you're you're the one of the only people I know who's literally all in on only podcast. And I feel like everyone who does a bunch of different stuff is like podcasts are so fucking hard to grow. I don't know how to do it. Like it either grows through word of mouth or it doesn't. And I feel like you're the person thinking the hardest about how to grow literally just a podcast. And I'm always excited to see all the like tactics and stuff you've come up with for it. So th that's actually interesting because I went on, well, one way to grow, the best way to grow a podcast is through other, po other podcasts, right? Obviously the, the main driver is word of mouth, but the point I made, I went on the non-investment uh, advice podcast with like Trunk Fan, Jack Butcher, Bilal Zalady and all these, all the other people or all the other people, <laughs> there's only three of them. But we talked about this because the point was that I made on the podcast is like, no one actually knows. Like there are some ways that they test and they, they have ideas. But the, I think the, the way I phrase this is like the unknown unknowns of podcasting is a lot larger than the known knowns. Because like, I know a lot of people think, oh, it's saturated. Oh, like it's too late. And I have the exact opposite opinion that it's like day one, we're sitting at the very bottom of a giant technological revolution and we have no idea where this thing's going to go. So like, I know uh, real G's move in silence, but do you have like, <laughs> like, like you were talking about <laughs> like lasagna, but you were, like you were talking about like you were doing overcast ads, like that doesn't work anymore. Are those too expensive? Or like, what are the, just if you were starting a podcast today and you just want to grow your podcast, what do you do? Okay. So like that, the answer is, I don't know. Like, I'm not entirely sure. I'm like in the process of figuring out the the biggest thing like this, because this is a non-answer. Like what has been the single biggest driver of growth for my podcast? Go on, invest like the best and then have that episode go viral to what Patrick just tweeted the other day. He's like, we've done 300 episodes. Most likely that episode will be the most downloaded episode he's ever done. Holy and shit, really? Six weeks ago. Or yeah. yeah. Right. It went it, be it, the it, most that's the yours episode is the most downloaded episode of Invest Like the Best. It, it's on track to it after the first seven days, it was it had the most it was fourth of the most the first week downloads. And then it just kept ripping. Right. And so again, that makes no sense. I don't deserve that by any means. Like if you look at the the list of guests, Dude. it's like Billionaire CEO, billionaire CEO, public company, or billionaire investor, billionaire investor, public company CEO, and me. <laughs> it's just like, 
that doesn't just make any sense. Powered so, by espresso. Yeah. He's had some little... insane guests. Yeah. Many insane um, guests. Yeah. And obviously me joining his podcast network, he's going to put like a lot of emphasis behind it. And, you know, they say unbelievably nice things about founder, the founders podcast, and everything else. But my point is, it's like, that's not, that's not advice. Cause I don't even yeah. know how that happened. I did not expect that to happen. The only person that expected that to happen is our mutual friend who we were just talking about, uh, Sam Hinkie. Like, he's like, no, I knew this was going to happen. Like, uh, he's, because I got an invitation to go visit him that that episode came out on Tuesday. He had told me like the week before, he's like, Hey, next weekend, why don't you come visit? And I was like, Oh, and I, when I was there, I was like, Oh, this, like, this was just kind of not luck. I forgot the word I used. We're like, Oh, this is just a coincidence that like this happened to be just like the biggest week ever. He's like, no, it's not a coincidence. Like I expected this to happen. But as Mitchell says, like Sam's got a giga brain. I don't, I don't understand that either. Well, uh, the reason we're really here to today is, for me to read in the record that I called your shot uh, a year ago, <laughs> right? That's true. I mean, uh, Mitchell, I, I don't know if you have a strict like uh, draft number of times when people signed up as Senra super fans, but I think Mitchell is early, like double digits. He he gave me the Senra pill, you know, yeah. like I'm, I know he gets credit for me for sure. So that, that okay, so this is like, basically like we were talking in private we're like hey we have all these so people understand why we're doing this podcast right we have all these interesting conversations like we're all building different businesses fueled by the internet largely right and like we get to have like we get to meet all these crazy people because if you produce things of value on the internet like they act as magnets and they just bring in all these like-minded people right and so you find yourself learning from these gifted people in private and so the idea that us three were talking about, I think it was Eric's idea actually, which is like, Hey, why don't we just all get on a podcast? What do you guys want to talk about? And it's like, well, let's just talk about the same as much as we can, which obviously some things are always going to stay private, but like as much as we can, let's just discuss how we're thinking about our work today, because there's ideas in that. Just like the same reason I'm reading hundreds of biographies of entrepreneurs. Like there's ideas in those books that are valuable. Those people are dead. They don't need them anymore. Why don't we use them? And so since we're all alive and building businesses and we have these conversations through text, through FaceTime, through phone calls. Like, let's try to put a lot of this out there. So one of those things is what you just said, where I consider Mitchell like this super connector, right? He's like this, in my version of him is like super p- polite, unbelievably nice, sneakily funny. Like he makes me laugh. <laughs> like he just says like the craziest shit and you don't see it coming because it's like this dry wit. But we'll see if but, he's still funny when he's recorded. Most of his jokes you yeah. can't get recorded. You can't. <laughs> yeah, and they just come and like they're completely improv because it's like he's responding off something you said. I'm like, dude, he is quick. They with can't it, be right? repeated. But oh, yeah. Mitchell, gave, Mitchell gave me this 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 actually this way to think about things I never thought about. And it's like he, I think it was like the golden retriever idea where he's like some people like they just like they bounce around. They're super nice and they're they're like so polite. Like think about like a golden retriever, like how a golden retriever greets a stranger. Yet underneath that is like this killer brain and like really serious operator. And the more I observe Mitchell, I'm like, oh, he's doing this. Like he just goes around and like, hey, I'm just doing a couple of Twitter threads and I'm going to these conferences and I just happen to know everybody. And all this business just rains down out of the sky onto any business that he starts. <laughs> like, and so I was like, oh, this guy is like the golden retriever. But- I will say Mitchell makes it look easy a lot of the time. Mitchell makes it look way easier than you do, David. Because <laughs> I don't Bro. like... A hundred percent. Cause I'm the exact opposite where like, I'm very much like a lone wolf. I was just like trying to grind away by myself, but the, 
like to, well, he just he just launched something, or he just did something earlier that I think is important, right? It's about like just staying in the game along long enough to get lucky. So I've repeated this on a bunch of episodes because it's very obvious in this book. It's just like, dude, just stay alive, stay in the business you're in. If you enjoy it, just time will carry most of the weight. You just got to stay alive to get lucky. So I had no fucking idea how to grow a podcast. And I did it the exact worst way because I was like, hey, I'm going to have, I have no social media following, right? I remember, <laughs> I remember I was, I was like walking down the street, talking to David on the phone and he's like, well, the easy way to grow a podcast is just to go on other people. We were talking, I think about Ben and David at Acquired and he's like, well, they, you know, they just did it the easy way. They just went on everybody else's no, podcast. Smart way. Was like, smart way. Yeah. What you said, it was the, but it was the easy way at the time. And I was like, well, why don't you do it the easy way, David? <laughs> like, why don't we just... <laughs> and so they actually helped because I remember yeah. like I, I I talked to Ben like years ago because he was developing this service called Glow that would let you sell a private RSS feed. And I was like one of the first customers mm-hmm. on there. But the reason I said it, I did it difficult ways because not only did I not have a big social media following, not only was I really introverted and I decided, hey, I'm not going to do interviews. Uh, so there's going to be no like guests can't tweet or Instagram or anything yeah. about about it. Right. And I'm going <laughs> to put my episodes behind a paywall. <laughs> It's so like nobody, we're doing it on hard mode. Which and so, sorry, um, you came on my podcast like three months ago and like proudly yes. laid out your entire bulletproof case for a paywall and how genius yes. it was, and then immediately left my podcast, <laughs> changed everything, and went on Patrick O'Shaughnessy's podcast. I'm like, God damn well, it, David. Okay. So this is so now good. you get to tell the story of changing your mind, which is which yeah. is like also gonna be interesting. Okay, so this is the benefit of I talked about this yesterday where I became, I started becoming friends with Trunk Fan, right? Who I knew because the guy went from like having no Twitter following to having like half a million followers in like a year and a half. And like, you just couldn't get away from like his threads. And yeah, amazing and writer, hilarious guy. That he, that is a combination of like, he does a lot of research. He's a really good writer and he's funny. And so the first time we talked, we wound up talking for like two hours and we wind up thinking exactly the same about like, hey, if you gave us a bag full of money, which we're going to get no matter what, it's like the day-to-day life is not going to change other than you might have semi-nicer shit. Other than like, he just wants to research and be completely like plugged into what he's doing and write. And I'm just want to read and make podcasts and talk to other smart people, right? But he, what happens is like when when you're, and the reason we, we certainly can up is because I've watched his podcast for a long time. He's discovered founders, we started getting really into founders and then invites me on his podcast, right? Same situation with you two guys. And what happens there is like, then because people, you've put out work that give value to other people in the form of books, Twitter threads, podcasts, whatever it is, it's like they reciprocate. And so then Trung schools me and I'm like, hey, I have like this, this crazy set of data, maybe the only person in the world that has, that has read over a hundred thousand pages of history's greatest entrepreneurs. I have 20,000 different individual pieces of atomic content sitting in my Readwise app, Right. I've been repurposing it in other ways, which help draw in new listeners. But I was like, but I don't know shit. Like my Twitter following is growing like actually pretty fast right now, but nothing compared to him. And so for like 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes, he's just like, hey, this is what I've learned. This is what you need to do. Do step one, two, three. Mitchell's done this as well. He's like, okay. And then when you're done with that, jump on LinkedIn because you actually have a better opportunity over here. And this is how you do it. And this is how you want. And then like, the point being is like, if I just didn't know Trung off the street and said, hey, I need an hour of your time. If you can tell me everything that you know about writing writing and gaining and growing a newsletter, 
in his case, he's growing a newsletter. I'm obviously growing a podcast on Twitter or LinkedIn. Like that is literally, that would cost thousands of dollars and it would still be a good deal for me. Do you know, how does Trung make money? I feel like he just has a shitload of followers. Does he have okay, so, products or a business or anything? So there, obviously this, this is the part of our conversations where like we have to be like, the, a lot of the stuff's going to be private because people will tell you a lot of things. Trung has like, unbelievable amount of opportunity to answer your question specifically is like he has a very popular newsletter right and he's part of that you guys know work week you heard of this company that's where coked up options charlie joined work week a bunch of people have joined work week what is i don't even know what the hell you're talking about you don't know (laughs) what is coked up you don't know you don't know coked up options no man Uh, charlie light became (laughs) i want to make sure that I'm telling the truth here, but Charlie has this like shit post account called Coked Up Options. Who, John W. Rich, fake tech. Oh, okay, yeah. Fake tech. It's exactly. a network. Okay. It's a network of. Yeah, I yeah. To, I, I'm going to use the word because I use it. I just hate this word. Creators. I understand. Like that's the word we have to use. I just think there needs to be a, better a, than influencers. No, no, oh, hell yeah. But still, yeah. I just don't. That's not how I think about myself. But, anyways, it's a network of creators. They're doing, you know. Everybody thinks like creator-led businesses are like this new category. I know people are making investments in there. That's fine. But like, these are like as old as time, right? Like you aggregate attention, you build a fan base, and then you sell, you start by like, endorsing other it, people's it, products. You've, you you've s- read a hundred thousand books. Uh, what are like, what's another kind of network of creator-led businesses from a historical standpoint? That, there, I wouldn't say a network. I'm saying like when I, when what I'm describing is like, Think about like Jimmy Buffett is the the example I wound up using yesterday, right? It was like the guy okay. gets fa- it gets really popular by playing music and then builds out over time, slowly builds out, and every single thing that his the people that like his music buy from you know restaurants to vacations, he's got his own sunglasses, strain of sandals. Weed. Yeah, no, yeah. he's got his own. Like you're a Jimmy Buffett fan, you're like you're, it's five o'clock somewhere, mar- drinking a margarita, probably smoking a little joint in the keys, like that. You know that that's my interpretation of them. So he's like, oh, I'll have my own strain of weed because now weed is legal. And then I'll name all the strains after my songs. Like that's actually pretty smart in, in what he's doing, right? My point is, it's like, I remember reading a profile of him years ago. He's like making $50 million a year, you know, building these businesses over time. So here's the question. He's got a really, really popular B2B newsletter. And then he's had an unbelievable amount of opportunities. So I actually, when I talked to him, one of the times I talked to him, I actually brought you up, Eric, because I know they're they're huge fans of like your work, but he has basically what you say about me, I said about Trung, and it's like he's been focused on. Hey, this is my main thing. If this pops up different things in the future, I may do them. But so far, he said no. Like other people said, hey, raise a fund. You know the same things people generally say: raise a fund, do this endorsement, etc. But his whole thing is just like, hey, if I could just research and write all the time, and then he obviously has like ideas for scripts and, and stuff like that. But work week is doing what I hear incredibly well. And they're building a very sophisticated B2B ad network and then diversifying off of ad revenue through helping creators launch whatever businesses they want to. So they're they're trying to like help creators get like, I'm looking at their website right now. They have like a job listing for creator. So you get like hired to, you get paid to still like create your own brand and they pop in like ads from their network or whatever. There's There's a ton of people doing this. Look what HubSpot is doing. Like if you go to the HubSpot Creator Fund, what I noticed is I think they call it the Creator Fund, but it's really, they've adopted the language of venture capital and applied it to podcasts because they're having such Mm. success 
by either buying or partnering with a ton of business podcasts. And if you're selling enterprise software, right, that, that is one of the best audiences that you could possibly target because you have huge, mm-hmm. like your, your, like the value, lifetime value of your customers probably, you know, extremely high. Podcasts skew heavily educated, a lot of business owners, a lot of executives, a lot of marketing people, you know, a lot of founders. Who um, are, but, uh, and especially people who are listening to founders podcasts are, or who are listening to this podcast are developing themselves, are interested in learning and growing and trying new things to get new. Which outcomes. is everyone which listening is, is I, very smart, good looking, has made great choices in life. He, it, Eric's being funny, but it's be a, no, no, but it, expensive it, like, episode. No, because it's true. Because like when I started, when I started advertising on Eric's <laughs> podcast and then going on Eric's podcast, I was blown away by the quality of people that listened. It's again, another way to think about this. It's like yes, in one way you could target like the sheer amount of people, right? So take like Mr. Beast. If you're Mr. Beast scale, then that's different. Like you're, you're you can sell them hamburgers and, and chocolate bars and all that, and that makes perfect sense. But you could also have an audience one hundred thousandth of his size, but if it has the right people in it, it could be just as valuable. And in some cases you're going to see, and this is where I have to be careful because like there is people that we know that are already doing this. And let's say they have an audience size of a hundred, 150,000. When you put like, you have something that's, I mean, we're going to talk about leverage, which is Eric's specialty, right? You have that like people are like, David, hire more people or like, don't do your editing, do all this other stuff. It's like, I understand what you're saying that, but like the product itself is leverage. It's pure leverage, right? Well, I was listening to your Kobe podcast this morning that you just released. And he was talking about his practice, his like historical practice as leverage, meaning like he practiced so much more than everybody. Everybody who goes into the NBA is 18 to 22. And he's like, just nobody can catch up because I've practiced so much. And like, I've always talked to you, David, about your moat of just having 300 podcasts before anyone ever even heard of the thing. And then you walk into it and just, even if people are going to rip you, no one can rip anybody off. People can't take your idea, but just nobody could catch up with you because it's just, you're so far ahead. It would take years for anybody to get there doing two a week, you know? This is actually ties into it to Eric. Cause I would keep telling people, Hey, go listen to Eric's, crazy podcast Balaji. We got to go back to the overcast ads. And then I want to go to Balaji, if you guys don't care. Balaji had this great quote where it's just like, and Eric, maybe you can fill it in where it's, he's talking about like, hey, you know, there's 7 billion people alive, but 100 billion people have lived or whatever the case is. And he said, studying history is a form of leverage. Do you know that exact quote? Billions of human lifetimes have passed. You only have one. You can try to figure it all out for yourself in limited time, or you can gain some leverage from the lessons of history. It's the lessons of history book, which Eric has has talked about as well. That's it. So you brought up the Kobe episode I just released today. I read a 600 page biography on him. And that biography could have been 250 pages because it's just the same four things over and over again. Find something you're completely obsessed about have singular focus, right? Have one metric. His metric was how many rings do I win? And if I can get to four, five, six, or seven, then I'll have a seat at the table for the all-time greats, which is what he want to do. He had extreme personal practice habits. He would identify his weaknesses and then keep working till his weaknesses are now strength and then study the greats. That I, I was amazed. I'm not kidding. Like a dozen times in that 600-page book is Kobe just watching videotapes. Like somebody, uh, a, a promoter when he was 17, 
because he gets signed to Adidas. He uh, he jumps from high school to the NBA. So he gets signed to Adidas before he, he ever plays a, a game of basketball. One of those promoters goes to his house. In Kobe's house, when he's in high school, he opens the, the closet door and it's v- a, a stack of VHS tapes of just Michael Jordan games. And all he would do, Kobe's girlfriend at the time said, hey, yeah, I dated Kobe in high school. What, did, what was that like? Go over his house at night and we'd watch tapes of Michael Jordan. Like he was <laughs> like... You know what I mean? Like he was obsessed. And so he talks about that. I, I'm, I just recorded a bonus episode for his book, Mama Mentality. I'm going to drop in a couple of days. And he talks about that. He's like, listen, because I just completely brainwashed myself with all, like I downloaded useful information. If I needed to add something to my game, then I could get it immediately. So like I'd try it. Uh, it didn't work. Try it again and keep going. But he's like, he's like, when you keep studying the greats, your learning curve is shorter. Mm-hmm. And that was the entire book. That's why I thought that podcast was going to be like two hours. Oh, man, this is going to take me forever. It's going to be like two and a half hours podcast. It's like an hour long because it's like, oh, it's just the same thing. He did this when he was four, seven, 11, 13, 17, until he retires. Well, he and the then he had, he had Jordan, he had Jerry West, he had Tex Winter. He just like had these. The, the coolest thing about that podcast was you talking about him thinking of his whole life as an epic or like thinking he, of his life. Him he read as a he ran yeah. Ender's game and he's like, you know, the protagonist is like on this mythical quest. He's like, he he thought in narratives. This is like, it breaks my heart talking about this because like, I just, I so wish we got to see, like you have that insane work gone. ethic and drive. Well, that like, okay. So we saw what he did on the basketball court, but like he was already like winning Emmys, Oscars. He had crazy investments. Like he was already making mm-hmm. hundreds of million dollars. Like I wanted to see like, okay, now you have a guy that's 40 years old, still getting after it. What is he going to do the next 20 and 30 years? Like, I would have loved to be able to watch that. But he's going to have a second half like Arnold, right? Same obsession, like redefined a sport, then went on to be governor, then went like crazy. Arnold started as over and over again. Yeah. Arnold had been a real estate investor who was like a multimillionaire before he ever even started. He had a mail Body order business. business. He had a seminar business. Like yeah. he oh, had, God. like he had a European bricklaying business. I've done two podcasts on him. He, he's he, an inspiration for him and something that See, he was the with. content influencer. Is, well, <laughs> he was, yeah, he was. He had like pamphlets he, and courses he, and. Well, he's he partnered up with this guy named Joe. We I don't know how to pronounce him. Wilder. Wilder. I think the, it's Wilder. Yeah, so he winds up building a uh, Joe Wider builds a one of the first like bodybuilding fitness media empires and then sells like physical like weights and everything like that but he saw arnold early in life and did a deal with them and so arnold's like yeah you can take my pictures you can make me famous but anything i monetize after that is mine and joe's like yeah that's fine i don't care and he was again the same main idea is like why would you want to listen to founders because like everybody finds a blueprint and then runs it in a different manner in their day and time he was running arnold was running this guy named reg park he tells you over and over in the book, he's like, Reg is my hero. I put his picture up on my wall. I worked out looking at him. I said, okay, you get famous by work by being a bodybuilder. Okay. Then you launch businesses. Okay. Then you become a movies. And he's like, oh, I'll just do that too. I like the, um, I, I tried to do that with Bology actually. I asked him like at each stage, what, like if he had a model for each, like the transition that he was going through, like first in academia, then as kind of an entrepreneur. And now as like a, a ideologue or whatever you want to, whatever you, however you classify whatever he's doing right now. But I think it's interesting because it's like, it's hard to find one model for your whole life. I mean, like Ed Thorpe is as close as you have, David. I don't know like if Mitchell, if you have one, but it's like even finding one per chapter can be really, really helpful. Yeah, I've, I've thought a lot about that. And yeah, you have to, 
I think it was Tim Ferriss or someone said, oh, who's your hero? And, Mm -hmm. you know, whenever someone asks a question in a podcast, you just start to ask yourself the same question. And it's like, I've made a practice of just having a lot and having a lot for different reasons. But I I can't take Ed Thorpe because David already took him. No, everybody uh, should. Tim did yeah, it. And, yeah, I mean, and, and if people are listening to this and don't know who Ed Thorpe is, Tim Ferriss did a fantastic two-part interview. I watched them both on YouTube. You can listen to it on Tim's podcast, obviously, but I think seeing Ed Thorpe will blow your mind because he's 90 years old. And I'm telling you, he looks like he's 65. And that's part of why he could be a hero because he took he, well, a lot of entrepreneurs, or a lot of highly driven people, they will just destroy their health. Like they're willingly forego, you know, working out, sleep, nutrition, because it's like one extra hour, two extra hours a day that they can work. That's very short-term thinking. Ed took a much longer view. And he's like, no, I view every hour that I work out as one less day, I'll be in the hospital at the end of my life. That's a, that's a simple but brilliant idea. Arguably, like, and you talk about this, but Founders is just like full of anti-heroes. And then Ed Thorpe in the middle is like Yoda. But you, know, you had Larry Miller, that whole book is about don't do this. Or you have... Steve Jobs, I like, I don't want my life to look like Steve Jobs' life. I mean, brilliant, genius creator changed the world, like, but I don't want my family or my choices or it, it to turn out that way. They haven't, they won't, there, but it, I did have how do you ran- separate that? I did have a random thought the other day, though. Like, just imagine what he went through the last few years of his life. I'm not talking about the cancer, which yeah. is devastating. I'm talking about like, you made a product and everywhere you go, you see people using it in real life. That's different from like, you know, build an app. Like, you know, how many people use apps that Mark Zuckerberg made or bought or, you know what I mean? Like, or, let's talk about made because I guess buying is a little different, but like something digital that people use or maybe a song you hear playing, that, that's kind of cool. But like, they're literally walking around with this thing that came from your mind because it's not like the iPhone was like, even- hey, sitting around in 2000, like maybe we should buy, build like a phone. His idea, Steve talked about a truly personal computer for decades. He just didn't know, like there's no way that like, he didn't know what form factor it was going to take. Although he had heard what Edwin Land, which is his hero and somebody I won't shut the fuck up about. And I'm sure people are annoyed. <laughs> like David, shut the fuck up about Edwin Land. But Edwin Land gives this talk, I think it's in the 1970s, maybe 1971. And Un- unprompted, no script, to just have him on camera. And he talks about, hey, eventually you're going to have a device with you all the time. It's going to be a camera. It's going to be so much more. And he's like, it's going to fit in your pocket. And he's like, you won't take Edwin Lance, the founder of Polaroid, in case people are like, why is this guy obsessed with cameras? But you won't take, you know, 15 Polaroids a day. You'll take 100 pictures. Or what he didn't say, it's just a number. It's like, you just will take pictures all day long. This is what it'll look like. So there is like, the reason I bring that up is because Edwin Land, like Steve Jobs. Why do I talk about Edwin Land? Because Steve Jobs wouldn't shut the fuck up about him either. Talked about him when he was in his early 20s. This is my hero. This is who I'm patterning my career after. Then he talks about him when he's dying. One of the last interviews he gives in Walter Isaacson in that book. He talks about, hey, I heard something that one of my heroes, Edwin Land, said about building a company at the intersection of technology and liberal arts. And I thought that was a good idea. Go watch Apple yeah. presentations. What the fuck does he put up on the board? An idea he got from Edwin Land. Like, it's just so exciting because it's like, when I was younger, I'm like, man, how the fuck does everybody figure things out? Like somebody, these people are just so far advanced. And you're like, oh, we're just... This is in the Jordan, this is in the Kobe book because everybody's lighting into Jordan or to Kobe at the time. Like, you're just copying Jordan. You're just copying Jordan. He's like, and I copied David Richardson and I copied Dr. J and I copied all the people that came before me. He goes, he still had to do the work. He's, and Jordan makes the point in that book. He's like, that's how humans learn. We copy and ape each other. It's imitation precedes creation. We're going to imitate first. We're going to take in all this, all these ideas. And then hopefully if you're doing it correctly, 
you mix it with the, the things that are unique about you and the, the ideas that are unique to you and, and the output will be completely different. But yeah, you're going to copy and download other people's ideas, but you got to do the work. And you see that in every medium, right? Like you see musicians practice scales, practice songs, play other people's stuff before they come up with their own. In writing, like Ben Franklin used to do copy work. He would like write out literally hand for hand exactly what other people had written. Then he would take the bullet points, set them aside, write his own essay off of those points, and then like compare it to the original essay. 100%. Like the memetic learning, that is how humans learn languages and movements and everything. It's perfectly normal. And so if I know people like, like I, I say this line on the podcast, which I stole from this rapper named NF, like all these things comes from my love of hip hop. And it's like, the mind is a powerful place, which you feed it affects you in a powerful way. Right? Like that's a really, that's a good bar. Right. But like the mind is a powerful place, which you feed it affects it in a powerful way. It's like, I know I'm going to copy because we all copy. Right. So like, you got to be very fucking careful what you let in your brain, which is why I spend so much time reading books. It's like, because like, I, I, I could be staring at the wall. I could be watching TV. I could be looking at Twitter. I could be doing whatever. It's just like, there's no higher value activity to me in the world to do when you're not working, when you're not taking care of your health, you're not doing something fun, you're not spending time with your friends and family than reading stories of great people that came before you. Like the idea that somebody built, they spent, like I, I reread my highlights from Sam Walton, Walton's book. I, re, I read his autobiography twice and I read this other way lesser known biography album called America's Richest Man, right? That came out, I think, right before his autobiography did. And sometimes you miss shit the first time. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like this guy's writing his autobiography as he's dying. He starts in retail. Like his career was 50 years long, almost 60 years long. Like you think this guy was trying to build businesses for five decades and he discovered nothing that is going to be useful to what you're doing. You're out of your fucking mind. That is absurd. And so, yeah, put down your fucking phone. Stop watching sports or anything else like don't this is another thing it's like don't do things where the value accrues to other people right i'm obsessed with basketball right but if if we're in the same city right and you guys hey let's go play basketball i'll definitely do that i'll dedicate two hours three hours playing basketball right because the benefits accrue to me the exercise the dopamine i get in better shape the the fun the, the camaraderie with friends right now you compare that to a friend a friend of mine said hey meet me at the bar for some drinks and we're going to watch basketball. I'm going to spend three hours drinking alcohol, not working, not learning, and watch other grown men make a ton of money and all the value accrues to them. Like some things, you yes, you're going to do that anyways, because if it, it, and I'm not like criticizing with people's personal choices. It, if you find that unbelievably fun, then do it. I like to watch Quentin Tarantino movies. Like there, you could argue there might be value in storytelling and all this other stuff that I apply in my work. But like the point being is, man, like reading biographies is one of the highest value activities in the world. Like everybody's like, how do you read so much? My response is like, how do you not? It's perfectly, you guys are laughing at me, but like, I'm serious. Like it's, to me, it's like, it makes perfect sense. Like why wouldn't you? Like this guy spent six decades, right? And then he writes down, he distills his life learning into a book that you can read in a weekend. You're like, nah, I don't, who needs I, that? Like, well, I, I do one better. I just listen to the founders podcast and get it in an hour. You know, no, you it's, have, just, it's, it's in addition to not in replace of. Like, yes. Do I expect people to read 300 biographies? No. But like people are like, how should I use Founders Podcast? One, you should, I should think you should listen to two episodes a week. That means in one year, you'll download the best ideas from a hundred of history's greatest entrepreneurs and then pick one a month and read the whole fucking thing. Because I'm reading, like somebody said this on Twitter today. It's perfect. They're like, David is not summarizing the books. He's talking about what he feels is most interesting. Like it's, it's my viewpoint. I have no idea what, 
there are parts that, un- that I skip over because they're not important to me. Like one of the most impressive people that I've met, and that's the superpower of founders. It's like founders attracts founders. And then I get to talk to all these like super smart people. Some of them are, you know, in the startup domain. A lot of them own private companies you'll never hear of, right? And so one of these dudes is like re- really, really young. He has a company, like he has patented technology, private company owns 95% of, and he's just printing money, right? And you ask him what he does. He's like, I kayak, I hike. I work on my business, I read books and I listen to founders. I'm not fucking kidding. Like that's what he says. And so anyways, he had sent me this idea, a screenshot of a picture, right? And I'm like, this sounds familiar. I read this before. And it's in the essays of Warren Buffett by Lawrence Cunningham. And it's about some kind of like weird tax advantage thing that that Mitchell probably understand that Warren was doing (laughs) regarding like real estate or like taking business profits from real estate and offsetting some shit. I don't have like, Basically, like I read that part. I remember reading it, didn't highlight it, didn't bring it up on the podcast. But then this dude listens to the podcast, buys the book, reads the book. He's like, oh, this is what I needed. That's why you read the books. Mitchell, is there like a genius thing? I was, I remember reading, and I think I sent you a thread about like the, the Berkshire structure that was like uniquely interesting and valuable, but I didn't understand it all. And I sent it to you and I was like, is this a real thing? Is this legit? How does it work? Will you teach us about it? I would be interested to like, and I've, I think about doing this or like, I, we should talk to Chris Bloomstrand or someone who's like just neck deep in the that Berkshire company's expert, yeah. the Berkshire expert. Like I've always got thought a good, of the, he's got a good episode of business breakdowns on Berkshire. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I should listen to that. I always think about their tax deal as being wrapped around an insurance company and like, there's something called a captive insurance company, like in everybody, businesses can do this in the sense of like, if you have an insurable risk, meaning I run a trucking company and obviously we have auto insurance and like we have this huge risk built around this. What a lot of these companies will do is basically like spin up their own insurance company and partner with other trucking companies and basically say like, we're going to take the first million dollars of insurance risk and we're going to reinsure the rest and we're going to pay ourselves premiums for that million dollars. And then we're going to have to have money in the bank to cover that risk. So that money is then post-tax. And now you have this insurance company that you can go essentially make investments out of. And so like, that's what, I mean, go look at all of Sequoia's partners and their endowments or their insurance companies or their foundations or their whatever they are. And then go look at the richest companies or the richest founders in the world that have ever existed. And they own those same structures. They own endowments, foundations, insurance companies, and they basically pay tax once if they pay tax at all, but they pay tax once where they just go, hey, we're going to take our money, we're going to pay tax on it, and then we're going to send it into some structure where we never pay tax again and where the money just exists in this corporate entity that basically perpetuates forever because we don't need money. And if we do need money, we'll pay ourselves out of this thing. And if we want to go make an investment, we'll make it out of this thing. So, I mean, trusts are like a miniature version of that, but it's always just... How can I have this entity outside of my corpus, outside of my world? It, is this is this interesting? I'm just yeah. talking. <laughs> my bad. Um, but, 
<laughs> if, if, if Mitchell talks about accounting for more than 90 seconds, yeah. an alarm goes off. That his, yeah. What is that? Well, he just actually, fell asleep. no, you, know you what, had me. I was interested. You know what the interesting thing is, though, that we've talked in private and I think we should put on the podcast is this is another thing where Trung Fan has has kind of influenced my, my thinking on this because he's like, listen, man, he's like, yeah. He, first of all, he's like, Twitter clearly, and this is what Mitchell's repeated to me over and over again. He's like, you need to write threads, you need to write threads. Like, you're reading an entire book, you're stupid for not writing threads. He's like, I will help you, I'll connect you with people. He does all these like, really nice things, right? I talked to Trung about it. Trung's like, yeah. He's like, he's like, just because there's some people that are, the Twitter algorithm is not, like it overemphasizes the variety. So he's like, you have a, a well-researched thread that that Trung may work on for like an entire week, right? And distill it down to like 15 tweets. That is different. He's like, but you'll see like, you know, people repurposing Wikipedia pages or saying like, you know, there's seven people on earth. They don't know how to walk correctly or like whatever. <laughs> it's like the 15 really, best self-help books that his, you his know, point yeah yes that so he's like you're talking about low he called it low effort he's like your twitter threads wouldn't be low effort because you read an entire book and so that is actually something and now he's like convinced me to well, do it it's and information it's like, density like well, it's how wanna, much how much can you like propel somebody forward how much value and leverage can you put into 15 posts where it's worth reading so, yeah. so by the same wanna, logic that you're doing all the video clips on like tiktok and youtube and stuff that you told me are crushing like, yeah it, the threads fit the exact same model right it's just like top of funnel sort of like outcome of distillation but of i don't big here's episodes. the problem i don't like those shitty threads and i wasn't what mitchell helped influence my thinking and trung did too is like but your threads won't be shitty. It's like Walt Disney. Walt Disney, like when he <laughs> yeah. starts Disneyland, all amusement parks they were like they were run by like carnies, carnies. like circus people. They were, they they yeah. didn't call their, they didn't call the people guests or customers. They called them marks. Like he was a, this is a sucker who's a mark. And so everybody's yeah. telling Walt Disney, right? There's a fantastic book called Disney's Land. It's all about Walt Disney's thinking about building that that because that was his the thing he was most proud of in his life, uh, like what he created. That was the best. But he his. Walt Disney says something that really clicked with me when I was talking to Trung yesterday. And it's just like, but he's like, everybody's like, why are you doing a, a, an amusement park? Like, they're so shitty. He goes, exactly. Mine won't be. And he's like, there, he doesn't say this words, but this is my interpretation when I read the book. Their mediocrity is my opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so there, I didn't bring that, this up to say, I'm going to write Twitter threads. I wanted, because it has had a substantial impact on your businesses. I guess if you don't, if you're cool sharing, and I don't have to share numbers or whatever, but like, it has essentially like this is the golden retriever Mitchell. It's like, hey, I'm just out here providing value. And then in the background, he is providing value. All this business is raining down on his head. And he's got like this long ass like waiting list to get into his firm. I don't know if you want to talk about the other business, but like I just wanted to cue you up for that because that has been super helpful in private conversations and it has changed my thinking. Yeah, I, I think ultimately, if you can corner the market on the value you're providing, which I've done a good job in this from a CPA standpoint of on Twitter as a CPA, I'm the one who's doing it. There's a lot of CPAs on Twitter. A lot of people are doing really, really good jobs. A lot of people who are way, way smarter than me haven't kind of accrued the value I have. And part of that is like, I'm fortunate. And part of that is that Nick Huber pointed a bunch of people at me and and let me go. And then I've had a lot of help along the way. But then like No, I mean specifically yeah, was, was, you're beating around the bush. You're so the, the, so but I'm glad you brought uh, up Nick uh, because Nick's a good example and you know more than I do. If 
he was to sell his Twitter, like how much economic value has his Twitter brought his businesses? Millions and millions I mean, of dollars. I, yeah, of yeah. No, okay, that is it, what I want to talk it, about. What people oh, people have a hard time fucking understanding so, why I go crazy. And I'm like, you don't understand how valuable podcasts are. They're amazing businesses. You like people but, are undervaluing it because it, you, it's not like you can't go and buy them. Right. I mean, you can so, in some, some cases, but like you can't buy Mitchell's Twitter threats, but he's being very modest. Millions and millions, like even if he hasn't collected it yet, this has resulted in millions and millions of dollars of value creation from writing a sure. fucking Twitter thread. That's insane. And they're uh, great uh, threads, uh, though. Yes, really that's good. the point. They're high effort <laughs> threads that have literally saved people millions of dollars. I see the, the text yeah. messages and the DMs he gets because he sends them to me. Yeah, to the point of like, oh, what's the easiest way to grow a podcast? It's to go on other people's podcasts and have other people on your podcast and, and create this viral message. What's the best way to rank on TikTok? What's the best way to rank on LinkedIn? What's the best way to rank on Twitter? It's like you have to package your gift into the format that the algorithm of the pl that serves the platform, you know what I mean? And then if you serve the platform long enough, they give you some little real estate on your profile. Like we all get to have the little link in bio on Twitter that yeah. if you click it, you know, I use that link tree thing and it says where you come in from and it says how many people have clicked every link and it's been thousands and thousands. And, and yeah, I have email platform that's built out of that that i don't use enough but like <laughs> to that point like this is a long 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 game to your point of like this all doesn't have to be captured in the next six weeks or it's going away well, i don't think mitchell's was interesting because i think a lot of people start this game and think like i'm gonna build a following and then figure out what to do with it and mitchell's sort of like how, how long were you cpa like with a firm before you even join Twitter five, six years. And yeah. it, so there's some of that in terms of like, like you came it's in totally with a changed business, my business with a ton yeah. of experience, with stories to tell and expertise to share. And so you just took these like conversations that you're already having one-on-one -on -one offline in a professional capacity. And we're like, all right, let's put my knowledge online in the structured thing on a viral platform. And it like massively took off. And then you got a line out the door and now I think what's interesting is seeing how you're kind of like shifting from, I mean, the CPA and accounting and bookkeeping firm is like doing Just well and oversubscribed and busy, but it's, yeah, he's you, not you talking kind about of like, it. He's, no, he's going not, he's, to be making millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. I'll say it for him. Like, I don't mean to be bashful, but like, that's not even the right use of the word, but like he is going be, as a direct result of having really running a blueprint that you've, I think you organized it in the best form. It's why that book, the, the Almanac Naval, I've gifted it to so many people. Cause I'm like, all the people are just like, I don't know what to do with my life. Read that book. Like re it is going so, to organize it. He is running the playbook, even if he's not working directly off that, the specific knowledge. Like I think re redefine you can look what you at do David. Go ahead. Oh, uh, well, it, yeah. Redefine what you do until you're the best in the world at it. You're the only CPA <laughs> I follow on Twitter. Like, cause why would I? You know what I mean? Also, like, yeah, you I have found it, a weird, you found a weird the, way to make it fucking fascinating. And as a and result, the most exciting because, thing is, is like the reason he's going to really kill it is because he's shifting from low leverage business models to high leverage business models, which I feel like is the big 
thing, right? Like the CPA firm has a line out the door. He can't scale it fast enough to meet all the demand of all the people who are showing up. I get DMs every single week that are like, hey, can you introduce me to Mitchell? I have tax questions. And I'm like, <laughs> I will do it, but he will tell you no. <laughs> he's, like, he's, so, but uh, go by the I course had... or whatever that he's putting together that's like expanding yeah, so to actually I... fit the demand. I have this, when David walks on to Twitter, he has the catalog of infinitely leverageable content. And mm-hmm. of course, people want to talk to David Sinra, but like people don't reasonably think that they're going to talk to David Sinra. Or, or you know, you don't listen to a podcast unless you're me and just start DMing the guy and going, hey, what's going on? <laughs> <Are> you, like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, David well, probably would have responded to you six months ago but now you just get bombarded but david had the the bottom of funnel totally filled out with this library of years of content he's telling you to listen to two a week how long is it going to take you to get through his back catalog and then his top of oh, then I would was have like another 150 so it's longer than that. yeah exactly you're never you have this infinite kind of like pile of podcasts that you can never get to of David's and his top of funnel like was not scaled to to fit to the bottom of the funnel. Whereas I have the opposite problem of like, I have a small business. I, I mean, there's me, there's other CPAs, there's bookkeepers, but you're the leverage guy, Eric. So you're talking about capital leverage, people leverage, operational leverage. Like I can do all of that, but even then you can only scale so fast and keep the quality of your product versus I built this top of funnel that vastly outstripped my my bottom of funnel so now i'm trying to like kind of fill in the middle i would say is but you're like, also doing you smart gonna, things by jumping into other businesses in with, with? to what both of you are saying we're doing a few things but yeah there, there's definitely a course in the in the world that i can provide that's valuable that i've been working on and then there's a business called re Koseg that Nick is investor in and a advisor on, and we've been running that, which has been amazing and and grown very very quickly, which is awesome. Which like cost segregation services are, are this really tax specific niche real estate product, but it's a I didn't know what it was. Audience need, yeah, yeah. but I didn't I didn't know what it was till he mentioned it. Really, what I want to focus on is not like the the boring details. It's the fact that you have this unbelievable business. The very beginning, an unbelievable business. Sorry. And where no did you judgment. wind? No, no. Where did you wind up? No, because what people are listening to this that they could could, could use is like the dude just launched. No, no one even understands him and his partner have just launched a business that assuming they stay in the game long enough will make them millions and millions of dollars, probably every year on an annual basis. Right. And it started on Twitter from Twitter threats. This is my point. It's like these well, things. I met Nick on Reddit, by the way. So I'm, yeah, but, but you're, <laughs> where are you getting your leads? Where are you getting your customers from? No, it's so, yeah, it's all Twitter. Oh, so then the other boring business I'm working on is Better Bookkeeping, betterbookkeeping.com, that we're developing a bookkeeping software and a kind of service platform to provide bookkeeping services and tax services kind of at scale to small business owners. And my sister has a tech background and has been in video ads for forever and worked for Google and worked for Comcast. And she's like, well, yeah, this is a great business. I see the customer like pay per click. And I'm like, no, we don't, we don't pay per click, baby. We're like, (laughs) we (laughs) We tweet. We tweet. And I mean, the idea that you get customer leads without paying is a massive opportunity set in bootstrapping a business. Right. So I, 
I was not expecting to like connect these two, but I was going to Money 2020. Actually, by the time this comes out, I will have already gone to Money 2020, this conference and given a talk on creator economics. And there's like a big slide at the end that is like out marketing department in media department. And like anybody who is going into the marketplace expecting to lose money acquiring a customer is going to get their ass kicked by anybody who is running a profitable media company or by a creator who is like competing for profit just for that attention and then feeding it back into like an ecosystem or a business that is much higher margin because they're earning a profit on getting that attention and the margin on actually selling the product. So people who are going like the pay-per-click model, I feel like it's just going to get smoked and outcompeted and beat into the ground by people who are good at building trust and providing education or entertainment or some combination of them that people are actually opting into. That's where all the trust is going to flow, which means that is eventually what's going to be directing all of the dollars. And it's creators and podcasters and newsletters and media and video who are actually going to like broker that for years well, Facebook, more and more and more. i mean facebook's laying people off like the the generals are falling and it uh, i mean there's this huge knock on of like i posted this thing earlier today that this guy said money advice can be broken down into these two things so i said business advice can be broken down into these two things sell things for more than they cost don't run out of cash while you grow and it's like that used to be true for a while, it was not true because you didn't have to th sell things for more than they cost and you would never run out of cash if people give you enough cash. So there's like two, there's real business and then there's whatever, <laughs> you know, and like, yeah, you do. If you're going to grow like a nuclear fusion company, you probably need equity investment, but you're not going to take all that equity investment and go pay per click. You're going to bootstrap your own growth can, oh can i add something can i add something on here that i think like i never hear anybody talk about and i don't understand why like <laughs> i think what, what the, the biggest opportunity to exploit is the fact that we don't actually understand the complicated world that we live in like you guys know that guy george mack he's on twitter he's like a marketer oh, i love george mack dude he helped I, I me love him too. with the naval book he's great yeah he's fantastic he got in founders early because he dm me like two years ago saying like way be like he's after mitchell of course everybody's after mitchell but <laughs> I, I have an idea i have an idea of his that i completely steal and sometimes i don't even credit him and i i, I need to and he and he says something that resonated with me he's like there's two types of people in the world a person that doesn't understand the scale of the internet and a person that knows they don't understand the scale of the internet right and so mm -hmm. like you could break when i hear people talk about just in general, building businesses or whatever cases, like a lot of it, like the opportunity to me is like the exploiting what we don't actually understand. So like what, why I keep repeating that, Hey, like fuck everything else that you think, you know, get in a business that you like and stay in it for a long time. And that is how like, you're going to capture the most value, right? Because time carries most of the actual weight. So I'm going to give you an example. Like you guys are t just talking about paid ads and difference between paid ads and then creating like actual content that people give you their attention for free, right? It doesn't have to be either or. It ties us back into like how I was trying to grow founders at the very beginning when I didn't know how to. Like I thought Overcast was the best podcast app, right? Back. It's obviously very, you could tell it's like made by a person that cares deeply about podcasts. And that's the one I used because I was way before I had a podcast, I was obsessed with podcasts in general and on audio in general, right? Way before it was even a, a category of on demand. I loved hearing like talk radio and all this kind of stuff, right? And so I was an Overcast user back before they had... Overcast launched the very first 
podcast ads inside a podcast player. They're the ones that invented that, right? Before that, he was, his name is Marco. He was running like, I think he had like Google's ad network on. He's like, this kind of sucks because like, I'm listening to, you know, maybe a technology podcast and it has like just random thing. Like, this is kind of crappy. So he's like, I'm just going to rip this out and I'm going to build my own. And then he's like, then he started thinking, he's like, and there's a blog post I recommend reading where he outlines this thought. And he's like, well, what should I advertise? He's like, well, I, he runs a podcast too. He loves podcasts. He's like, the biggest problem with podcasts is not making them. It's growing them. It's finding an audience. It's like, why don't I run ads for podcasts? I was one of the first people to buy those ads. Okay. And so the founders would not exist today. Me, us three would not be talking if I didn't do this. So this talks about like exploiting something that you just don't understand the scale of the internet or how things relate to, because it's just way too complex for a human mind. So I start buying ads. Back then, you could get a subscriber for like a dollar, 70 cents, two bucks. Like I have all of the data on this and I keep buying ads just because I love- A subscriber that would- Pay you? Or, no, 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 this would be on the free feed. On the free okay. feed, right? This is going to relate to you. Now, I'm going to connect it all. Otherwise, you'd be a billionaire. No, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> just, right? just, just bear with me. I'm going to connect it to everything that we're talking about that, that was spawned from hearing you two talk just now. And so I got thousands of, like, that, that's how I bootstrapped like, the, the first couple thousand people that listened, right? One of those people. And then I also had the thought, I was like, these, this is the best audience you could possibly have for if you're a podcaster because like, they are so into podcasts. They're, it's iPhone only. Like they love podcasts so much. They look at Apple podcasts. It's like, this isn't good enough. I have to have like a crafted experience because that's how much I love podcasts. Those are psycho people. So I was like, I'm going to buy it. So I bought ads. I was paying around 300 bucks at the time, right? For each ad I buy. And I, in fact, I kept buying so many that eventually Marco, I remember him like canceling some of my ads. He's like, no, <laughs> like, stop. <laughs> and it, like, whatever. I was like, please. Because I was like, put him in different categories. He was right for what he did. I, you know, and he, I don't think he gives a shit about the money anyways. <laughs> so anyways, th- th- this is how, this is again, exploiting, like staying in the game long, uh, long enough so you can get lucky and exploiting the unknown unknowns, right? So I run a $300 podcast ad. That month, Mitchell sees the ad on Overcast. He, this is fucking going to be fucking crazy. So he sees the ad, starts listening to the free episodes. Then he upgrades, because I used to, at that time, I was doing like one free episode and then one paid episode, right? Then he upgrades for almost no money. I was charging way too little at the time for like 50 bucks a year, maybe $100 a year, something like that. Then he upgrades, right? Then a few months later, right? He tweets. I think you were tweeting about the the episode that you brought up earlier, which is episode 168. It's on this guy named Larry Miller. He owned like he owned like 90 something businesses. He was the richest entrepreneur in Utah. He owned the Utah Jazz. Winds up writing his book called Driven, an autobiography by Larry Miller as he is dying. And he's saying, hey, I live on a 30,000 square foot mansion on top of a hill. It's impossible for you to live in Utah and not give me money because I own all these businesses. I own movie theaters and car dealerships, all this crazy shit, right? And I'm writing this book as a cautionary tale. I destroyed my health. I was a bad father, bad husband. I didn't even have fun. It's the worst possible story you could possibly have, but the greatest story, like we benefit by knowing that, right? So anyways, Mitchell, I'm going to connect connect all this, right? So Mitchell sees the, I run the Overcast ad. Mitchell sees the Overcast ad. A few months later, he tweets, at Founders Podcast. I see that tweet. Then I see Sam Hinkie liked that tweet. Then I see two hours later, Sam Hinkie signed up for the Misfit feed, which was at the time, now Founders is a public podcast. Anybody can listen to it. It's ad-based. By the time of subscription, Right. Then Sam listens to a, a ton of them. He winds up buying, like, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but like literally probably spent two or $3,000 buying gift subscriptions to every single person. Like he just gives this out like candy, right? Then we become, wind up becoming friends. We talk all the time. Then six months after that, he puts me in a text chat with fucking Patrick from Invest Like the Best. This is all coming from an overcast ad. The idea, like, 
So I paid 300 bucks for that, right? Then I paid $300 for it. I meet Mitchell. Mitchell introduces me to Eric and all, and Eric opens up doors for, you know, he's, you're unbelievably generous to people you, you introduced me to too. Sam sees it. Sam puts me in a chat with Patrick. Patrick sends out one tweet in like May saying, hey, I never find good podcasts to listen to. I've discovered Founders Podcast. It's excellent. Listen to it. That one tweet sent me hundreds of paid subscribers. Hundreds. And then the, the people in that audience, then I was getting emails from people in Patrick's audience. They're like, hey, I discovered it from Patrick. I love it. The, I, had, I was selling lifetime access to founders at like for like 300 bucks at the time or something. He's like, I want 50 of them. Like this guy is trying to give me $15,000 over email, dude, because of one tweet, right? This is, again, we don't fucking understand the world we live in and we seem to not understand that we don't understand. It's fucking crazy. And so we're like, let's let's worry about attribution shit. It's like, no, that in some cases, there's a lot of value where you absolutely cannot un- connect the attribution. Like Steve Jobs said, and this applies not only to like growing a business on the internet, but like living your life. Like you could only connect the dots working backwards. So then Sam puts me in a group chat with, with Patrick. Me and Patrick wind up talking all the time for hours and hours, and hours, just as friends. Cause I like his podcast. He liked mine. So two podcasters, this is the easiest way to make friends like instantly happens. Right. And then two months later, I call Patrick after I go on Eric's show and talk about how great subscription podcasting is. I, <laughs> Mitchell brainwashed me. I had a ton of people pull me to the side. Like, David, you're fucking up. You're doing the wrong thing. The acquired guys are one of them. I'm wearing an acquired sweater, right? Right here. Like a ton of people have been telling me this. I had a guy, I can't, well, I can't tell you who it is, but he is, he owns 50% of one of the largest podcasts in the world. And he was like, listen, I've never reached out. He's like, this is who I am. You know me because you know the podcast. I just discovered founders. He's like, I never reach out to anybody. This your is an amazing fucking, story, by your, the way. Your show is fucking, um, I'll tie it back together. He goes, he goes, your show's fucking incredible. I've never seen anything like it. I just want to talk to you. We get on the phone. The first day we talk two hours. The next day we talk two hours. The entire time he's like, bro, you are the, the best podcaster and the dumbest motherfucker I've ever met. He didn't use those words. <laughs> That's what he did. Because he's like, you're doing it wrong. This is the playbook we use. They went from zero to a million and a half listeners in 18 months. He's like, this is what we did. And he's like, Whoa. and then he's like, Hey, do you want to join this network? And I'd already had a verbal agreement with Patrick. So I didn't do this, but he's like, I don't even care if we never do business together. I just love your show. I just want more people access to it. And I talk to him all the time now. Like we tag. So like, well, basically tell the painful story of, of the process of, of accessing the founders podcast. Uh, That's that's the story. So that's what helped. uh, He's like, listen, he was on the phone with a founder friend of his. Right. Cause again, founders talk to founders. Like that's why us three get along so well. It's like, if you're not an entrepreneur, like it's hard for an entrepreneur to go to a party. Like I, I sometimes for like my kids' birthday parties or my daughter's friends' birthday parties, I find myself like in a group of adults that I don't know. And I'm like, what do you do for a living? Like I ask, I was like, oh, this dude owns a business. This didn't choose you, dude, unfortunately. I was like, this dude owns a business that I would just beeline right to him, right? Because it's like, I can't, I'm crazy. Like <laughs> to, to normal people. And I don't understand how I am normal people because this is just how I always been. But anyways, the dude that I'm talking to on the phone is just like, I'm on the phone with this guy. He's telling me this shit that he knows that all this like stuff about Jeff Bezos. And I ask him, he's like, how do you know all this stuff? He goes, oh, you got to listen to Founders Podcast, but I'll just buy you a gift subscription because the guy makes it hard to share his content. That like hit me in the heart. I'm like, that's how he describes me. The guy likes my podcast so much that he'll quote it to other people. He'll buy gift subscriptions for friends He's like, just because I can't make it easy to share. And that's how he describes me. And I'm like, fuck, like that is terrible. That's a bad idea. So long story short, 
connect this back to the Overcast ad, right? So Overcast, Mitchell, Mitchell on Twitter, Sam, Sam to Patrick. Two months after we become friends, I call Patrick. I'm like, hey, I'm going to do an ad supported version of Founders. Like I want to, like, I want to compete on a level playing field. I want to fight. And what I mean by that is like, listen, if you have an option to listen to a podcast that you can listen to freely, it's in every single podcast, it's on every single platform, or you have another business educational podcast like mine, but you have to like listen to a preview for 30 minutes. Then you have to figure out how to like sign up. And then you have to like install a private feed and you have to do all this other stuff. It's like, that's not a level playing field. But I think if I do it like every other podcast, which I was wrong, the market taught me like, David, for every one person I'll pay for a podcast, there's a thousand that I'll listen to for free. So I was like, okay, that's fine. What I believe, and this is, I'm not trying to sound arrogant, but like, I believe if given the option and you can listen to founders, right? Or another business podcast on entrepreneurship and you can access them the same way, I'll win that over the long term. I don't have to win right now. That's fine. I'm in this game for a long time, but like over the long term, I'm very comfortable. I say competing, but podcasts are not zero sum. So that's another good thing. Like you, I've listened to 10 podcasts. Yeah. What is the adoption rate of yeah. podcast? Or, you know, what is the market so share, share of your? Yeah. So yeah. then, <laughs> then this, uh, to With wrap this lobe. up, but like, so then I'm on the phone and I'm like, Patrick, and again, this is not my thinking. That's the important part, right? I don't have any original ideas. I get all my ideas from other people and from books. And if people say, there may be some geniuses out there that say, no, everything, all the thoughts I have are original. I'm not like that. Like, I'm fine just mastering the best of what other people already figured out. That's that's cool with me. And so I, I call Patrick. I'm like, hey, like I'm going to do this. Drop that Farnham Street tagline in there. <laughs> <laughs> I actually talked to Shane too, because he listens to founders as well. Well, of course so, he does. He's a smart person. Yeah. So then I call Patrick. I was like, hey, I'm going to do this. He's like, oh, that's interesting. I go, and I think it should be on your network. And he's like, oh. And then he's like, I'm a fan. I'd love to work with you. We did this whole deal. Everybody's, a lot of people I've talked to that, they're like, hey, how long did it, like, this must have been hard. It's like, no, we literally had one phone call because he owns the network. I own Founders. The only question is like, hey, I own all the shows on my network. Would you sell me equity? And I was like, no, like, why don't we just, I was like, all I want is we'll share ad revenue. You help amplify my podcast and connect me with first class advertisers. And he goes, cool. That's it. Like done. He's like, all right, cool. We'll we'll plan the launch. And here's, I, I got to finish this. So then a few months after that, I go on Invest Like the Best. Again, you cannot predict this stuff, right? I go Invest Like the Best. The episode goes batshit crazy. That one episode, right? And I'm going to be careful here. It's like that one episode is directly responsible for tens of thousands of new founders listeners. And what ha- what is happening? They're going through my back catalog now. They're telling more people. It's highly likely from that one $300 Overcast ad, I will wind up building an audience of somewhere between... 40 to 60, maybe 100,000 people over the long term, just from that. Well, the one overcast ad and three years of hard work in between, right? Like all of the product quality yeah. that comes with it. And, but yeah, I mean, the, the attribution point is, is well taken and the like dominoes that go along the way. So, what is the business dynamics? Like, just obviously, like knock down, drag out better as like a ad supported open podcast. <laughs> yes. Like, okay. I mean, I, I think I podcasts like every, obviously the, the value accrues to the top 1%. So if you can be the, or, you know, for every thousand podcasts out there, there's. This is why I love Eric. Like make money, right? Eric tweets nice things about me. Like the other day we're on the phone and like, 
I get these notifications and it's like, I thought he was listening, like we were having a conversation. He was on Twitter talking about me. But like, this is why I legitimately love Eric. This is why I went on non-investment advice podcast. And I was like, dude, we got to talk about Eric. I talked about him before the recording. I talked about at, at the beginning of the recording. And then at the end, I was like, dude, we got to talk about Eric's podcast with Bology because those guys love Bology too. And they love you because they like the, the almanac. But this is, again, this is not my fucking idea. It is insane that I devoured Eric's book way before I knew him. Right. And like, I, I, I'm not bullshitting. Like I owe you a debt of gratitude because all I'm doing is literally taking the ideas that tweet storm changed my life, dude. Like, and you put it into a book and you expanded on it and it's excellent, but it's just like, literally, if you look at what founders is, just go read the, the basic outline of Naval's tweet, tweet storm, how to get rich without getting lucky, I think is the, 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 the yep. subtitle or whatever. It's just find some work that feels like play. I didn't understand that people don't read all the time. I'm not kidding. This is not like, I'm not being, trying to be like false <laughs> modest because it's so such an obvious good idea to me. It's like, why would you not do this? And so like when I, I remember I was getting chicken wings with my, one of my oldest friends and he tried to tell me that like the average person doesn't read any books a year. There's like, sometimes this data comes up and you see it every once in a while and it's like, you know, crazy. Like the average person are like, 25% of people read one or no books a year. And then like even at the top one percentile, it's in, I think it's in the book. Naval says like, I read an hour a day, right, uh, Eric? He's like, mm -hmm. I read an hour a day. Like and the top 1% or top 10th of a percent. Yeah, which is, I don't understand how that's true, right? But it is true. But the reason to your point, Mitchell, about it accrues to the top 1%, like it's the Peter Thiel thing, like where power laws rule everything around us and we're completely oblivious to it. I think about this line from Eric's book every day. And he says, in the age of infinite leverage, being at the extreme of your art is extremely important. Or like, I think I just reversed it. You might do it better. Actually, let me get the exact, here it is. Being at the extreme in your art is very important in the age of leverage. This ties into why I think people that are good at podcasts and multitask are actually making a mistake. If they want to do that, then they should do that. But if you're really good at podcasting, like, and if I define that by like, if you can aggregate a valuable audience and, and you're like continue doing it, it's continue growing, like the amount of business opportunities or just opportunities in general that flow from that thing is the most valuable use of your time. And so that's so, the point. Like, well, this I can't. Is an interesting, like, I think this is an interesting group because we all have like kind of opposite, I don't know, not opposite, but like differentiated enough strategy. So like you are all in on the podcast and are like, I admire the focus and discipline you have about that because you just do not do anything else very deliberately. It, while like Mitchell, we were talking about, has like a handful of businesses. Like he has like Twitter and goes on other people's podcasts and does this and does this. And Mitchell has like the accounting tax bookkeeping business and the course and the cost seg business and now better bookkeeping. And kind of like, I think that is like, I admire both of your strategies for kind of like opposite reasons. Like Mitchell's building this, I don't know, how do you, I don't know how you would describe it, like a holding company, like a bootstrapped Remember, empire right. of like financial services. <laughs> Can we whatever, talk, right? like, this is your text. Uh, we got to talk about this. Yeah, Mitchell, how do you describe it? <laughs> <laughs> financial Andrew Wilkinson is my dream. But <laughs> no, but just the idea of having an operator in every bucket, having a CEO run every one of these businesses and running, yeah, a Holdco model is where I think I'd be best suited and it's playing out. So they're all like, is, is this, has this all been basically like cash from other businesses that you owned? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't raised any equity and 
we put equity into the Costec business, but yeah, I've like bootstrapped mm-hmm. the development of the software platform. But I've just never understood how to start businesses and raise equity. And I, I feel like if I raise equity, I just owe other people too much of my time and and the outcome to serve their their. Or what if I change my mind? You know? Yeah, I mean, it's the same decision David made. Right? It's like. Yeah. won't sell equity in the golden goose <laughs> go ahead i think I'm it's like saying I, nothing. I, I really Wait, what, what, what's going on here guys what are we what can we not say i don't know i think this, um, I, I, I just think things are gonna was, get really weird let's just put it that way i just think things uh, are getting really weird <laughs> just in terms know, of the like, overall markets or what no, wait, no no i don't care about the market at all like i'm i'm gonna okay. win regardless i don't care about that like i'm yeah. just on it every day so i want to elaborate on that like my point is like i reserve the right to change my mind i don't the, the whole point is like i don't know what's going on i have no idea what the future is going to hold and so i don't try to make any kind of predictions on it i just like i found something i love to do it's valuable to other people and so i'll keep doing it and as we started this conversation because eric's like what are the up like what are, what's the difference to the business opportunities between like an ad-based much larger audience compared to like subscription like it's not even the same thing i do want to yeah. say and so there is just a million right now. I don't know what I want to do. All I know is the bottleneck is not opportunity. It's just like going, but going back to like your, the original overcast ad idea of the $300 ad that changes your life. It's like, there are all these mispriced opportunities out there in the market today. And they're all about creating content and leveraging the thing you know most about. And then having a, funnel sales system to capture that attention and sell people a product that immediately immediately delivers kind of more value than what they pay you. I mean, I agree like, 100%. And that is why I swear to God, like, I'm not saying it just because he's hosting us on his podcast. I think people should read every single person should buy Eric's book and reread it every year. I want to be an Eric talked to the about, founders episode. No, Don't no, that that's book. not good enough. Come on. Um, <laughs> me and Eric talked about, I was like, Hey, are you cool? Like, what if I re like, we both, I mean, he doesn't have to reread it. He wrote it, but like, why don't we do an episode with just me and you just going over parts of the book? Because I think that'd be incredibly valuable. Like I cannot stop. I'm just repeating myself at this point. So I'll just move on. Like it's the most, it's one of the most valuable books. And like, again, you could read in a weekend that you could possibly spend time on. I do want to go back to what Eric said about like, I want to make it very clear. Like when I say like, I have to have a singular focus and like, I'm not going to do anything else. Like I think your, the business you build has to be tied to who you are as a person. When I describe, Hey, I'm going to work on one thing. I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to work on seven days a week. A lot of people like recoil. They're like, Oh, I could never fucking do that. Like I think what you just said, doing the financial version of tiny that in another life, there's two things I find most interesting, businesses I find most interesting. It's like one, I give my entire life and soul to one business. And then the other, like in another life, I would do something very similar to like a Berkshire, a tiny, what's a Brent's company? Permanent, Permanent equity. equity. Permanent equity. But, like there's a million of these like examples, which I think, go ahead. I had the chance to meet Peter Malouk. And before I met him, I read his form ADV for creative planning when I went up to Kansas City. And like you read creative planning's ADV and you see that there are like, seven arms in the business. There's a tax planning service. There's a tax preparation service. There's a estate planning service. There's a legal service. There's obviously an investment management company. There's a financial planning company. Like they they have, I think they sell insurance. I, I don't know if they sell Mitchell, insurance what's the ADV? or not. Form ADV is like this form that you have to file with the SEC 
if you own a financial services company. And so when you register, you register with FINRA and you, you have to file these forms. So like you can go find out information about people's companies. Oh, cool. That's pretty public Yeah, about their assets under management and their, their business. And, and they, you have to list all their conflicts. And so like, these are the creative planning conflicts as he's created this whole kind of ecosystem within that firm. And that's how in ways he's captured so much value. And so like, it's Everything a huge business, a huge business. It's massive. You now Eric sees it more because he's in Kansas City. That that dude's the mayor of Kansas City now. In terms of me trying to build in different horizontals or different verticals or whatever you want to call it, it's like I just want to build the best thing for small business owners and founders that doesn't exist out there today that can capture them into this solution that saves them time, saves them money, gives them insight into their business without, and again, if it just existed, I wouldn't have to do this. The, the better bookkeeping thing is slick. You showed me that last weekend. It is really pretty cool. Who's sort of the intended customer for that in your mind? I have these kind of different target customers, but like the, the easiest one up front, I've started it as we're going to come in as kind of a high touch, like concierge model for solo founders, small business owners who are either high growth or high profit, like it's going to mm. start as a relatively expensive product for a high margin business or for a equity backed founder who just wants to totally be hands off in terms of connect your bank, connect your credit card through Plaid, kind of have everything done for you get a weekly email of like, here are the metrics of your business, get a monthly loom video. That's kind of like, Hey, here's what happened month over month. I mean, my goal is to take the bookkeeping business inside my firm and automate a lot of that and be able to use the data a lot better because I have the data in a database rather than it's all sitting in QuickBooks platform. And I got to figure out how to get it out and how to put it all together so that I can offer people kind of like, strategies at scale, ideas yeah. at scale, uh, advice at scale. And then, so the the initial customer is broker, equity-backed founder, a writer, you know, a book writer. Who just <laughs> really well a podcaster. Like a a podcaster do. who's yeah. currently crushing it. Like yeah. people like that who who just, you know, want, would, would get an email every week that says like, hey, here's your change in cash. Hey, here's your sales for the week. Hey, here are your biggest expense items. Go down the road and, and gain a lot of value. What do you, what's your distribution on that? Like where, where are your customers going to come from? Do you find, do you think the first thousand customers are going to come from Twitter? Yeah. Dude, I love the... Uh, I like the vision because every month or quarter or whatever, whenever I get a financial statement, I always look at it and I have like coming from like a startup, which where we had like amazing SQL dashboards and like stats for everything that all happened in real time that we could like break everything down. I was like, this is not useful data in these, in these financial yeah. statements. Like I just keep wanting to click on stuff and graph stuff and like change time zones or uh, time periods and stuff like that. Show me trends, not just snapshots. And yeah, I see the beginning and, of that in this product is really cool. Yeah, I mean, getting a PDF versus getting a Tableau, it, it, you know what I mean? Getting a table, yeah. getting a dashboard, as opposed to getting this static PDF that you can't double click on. And, and yeah, having I mean, your books just the, done automatically. Like Having your books done automatically is great. Saving money is great. And then, yeah, having 
the the issue is that like everyone has to have their books done just to like stay out of jail. There's yep. like the stay out of jail level, which everyone gets done somehow or some way. <laughs> Either, you know, we just passed the October 15th, like final tax deadline, which is like the deadline where everyone's filing who just wants to stay out of jail. <laughs> but like if I did your books in October, that for the period that ended 10 months ago so that we could get your taxes so that you don't go to prison, you would pay me kind of almost as much money as if they were just done in December and you had data that was current and, and useful for your business. Somewhat useful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're going to so, charge a monthly on a monthly basis for it. Like take what you yeah. normally spend, divide it over 12. It makes it easier and everything's done automatically. So yep. if you're talking about, so when is it, when can people actually sign up? You can go sign up on the website right now. It's a kind of live beta product. It can I basically, tell people, like it's a fantastic URL, betterbookkeeping.com, right? Can I tell yeah. people what the video that you sent me when you bought the domain? What did I send you? Have you guys <laughs> ever seen this video of Puff Daddy, also known as Diddy? He's on the phone, right? He's in his office. And he's like, yeah, can you bump them? I want that spot. I don't even know what he's negotiating. Then he's like, okay, cool. Then he hangs up the phone. And then he goes, I'm a savage. And he picks up his phone and he's like, slams. He goes, whatever I want, I must have. It's hilarious, like 40 seconds. This goes back to how we started the conversation. I don't know if it was before we got on the recording or, or after about how Mitchell is like low key hilarious. But it comes like it, you can't predict when it's going to happen, and it's just like the, the 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 energy that Diddy has in this in this video is inside of Mitchell, but he hides it, and so it's like he's like, "Look what I got!" And it was a great. I thought the name was fantastic, way better well, than and, Adidas, it, right? How, and then how he goes, much well, is that this URL is how I Do I want to say it out loud? Uh, it was ten grand. Yeah. It's ten thousand. That's not bad. for betterbookkeeping.com. That's not bad. I know. That, With and, no and misspellings. So, that's great. I was, well, I already bought the misspelling too. Peter Askew, <laughs> of course he did. known domainer, coached yeah. me through the whole thing. And yeah, it was one of those, apparently domainers are just like known dicks in the world. And so I was like trying to low, it said 10 grand or best offer. And so I was trying to offer and the guy just ignored me for like four months. <laughs> so then I just finally bought it. He wanted zero, zero sum games, man. You can't, uh, those will ruin you. So yeah, we so, have auto renew on. We have it locked. <laughs> I want to um, I want to ask Eric about his business because he's been peppering us with questions. And yeah, um, but before we go there, do you have any ideas? So Mitchell's going to use Twitter for initial distribution. Do you have any other ideas that you think would be good for him for better bookkeeping oh. specifically? Because this is like uh, the shit we talk about in our private chats, which I think is like what we should try to get as much uh, as possible onto the actual podcast. Yeah, I like that we all just have like a list of ideas for each other's business. Like I know Mitchell has like a doc that is many pages long about ideas for David. Um, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I've invited you to it. I just call David and like give him ideas. Like it, it, I just nag him every day. Right? <laughs> like he like he's even asking. But, no, uh, they're helpful. Though. No, my I don't know. My I feel like my brainstorm is the only stuff that I have for Mitchell is like figure out a a more specific first customer like there's almost certainly somebody who is like the the mvp is perfect for as it is and i would start selling find that niche and start like selling aggressively into that immediately um the the mistake that i feel like people make often is waiting too long to add 
full paid customers to prod and investing in sales, like yeah. effort and infrastructure. Basically, if you don't have a thousand customers in nine months, give or take, like I feel like you're going too slow. So but, it, like the long or the initial strategy is again, sell to somebody who is either has a lot of money because they raised a lot of money or has a lot of money because their business just makes a ton of money. So it's a, and has a small business, meaning like they're a broker, they're literally an author, they're literally a podcaster, they're literally a marketing agency, like a sub five person, high sub five person company who's just like, listen, we make a lot of money. We want these analytics. We want this done for us. We want to optimize. We never want to hire a bookkeeper. And and it's funny, like this world of you read, David would, would tell us because he's read all these books, but it's like, you read these books from the seventies where people grow these companies and the bookkeepers like their third hire, you know what I mean? Or like you, yeah. you go, yeah, you yeah, have yeah. these founders, and then you got to bring in the old guy to do the books. And or the, no, they're they're the founder, or they're the founder. So yes, was trained as a bookkeeper. Bingo. And so now people grow these businesses where they're like, oh yeah, we have five million dollars of revenue, but we don't have a controller, we don't have a bookkeeper, we never want a bookkeeper. We have this lady who does it for like three hundred bucks a month, but it's like way behind, and you're just like. Guys, like let's <laughs> let's Let harness this knowledge. This. Yeah. yeah, we've gotten a lot of leverage because of computers and because of databases that that we can go, kind of take a lot of the day to day of bookkeeping and and automate it. But now, like let let's tap this resource. Let's start to use this a little bit better. This is probably techier than you're going. At least that your current development, but are you using AI to make these assignments? That feels like a relatively straightforward thing. We have this like categorization rule set sheet that's inside of a Google doc. So now like when you go to categorize, it pings the Google doc and it pulls the latest rule set in. But I talked to a guy a couple of weeks ago who worked for this startup who does AI for search and who they like run the engine for one of the big kind of billion dollar unicorn fintech startups. And it's like, I think we would end up at scale just subcontracting that function. Mm. We're going to build our own rule set engine out until we hit enough scale where we're like, we need to go subcontract out. And so, yeah, I mean, at scale, yeah, this thing will have thousands of customers in it and really like the the mvp customer is the jobs to be done we make a really really good 200 grand to two million dollars and we are we just need this in a box and so yeah my one of my first like tweet threads that i'm going to do to like really start talking about this is one of my clients in the cpa firm who's been my client for like she was one of my first clients she is a psychotherapist. She made like 220 grand her first year as my client. She still makes 220 grand a year. I took her from essentially paying 50 grand a year in tax to paying like 25 grand a year in tax on 220 grand top line. Wow. And she saved 25 grand a year for like eight years being my client. And you just like can build these 
like this is the power of threads and the power of Twitter is you can build this like information dense case study kind of white paper of this example of this person. And that's the tax savings angle. Mm. Probably 220K is like the minimum viable client I could really advertise to at the price I want to sell at. And then you just walk down the path of this is who she was. This is who she saved. This is exactly what we did step by step by step by step. My product, Better Bookkeeping, is going to do exactly that. If you want to get on board, let's go. Then, then you do it for the million dollar a year broker guy who has a different set of fact patterns, who, yeah. who saves more than 25 grand a year. Uh, you spend know. 12 grand a year to save 100 grand a year. I, I laughed. I smirked when you said the, one of the first Twitter feeds, Twitter threads that you're going to do to announce better bookkeeping. I was hoping you were going to break down that Diddy video. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a savage. I'm a savage. I'm like, right, whatever so can, I want, I have to get. Can we please savage.com? I'll see Can we please talk about Eric? Because yes. I, hey, I hey, we're out of time, guys. Thanks. That's 90 minutes. <laughs> oh. We're going to call. No, I have the catheter put in. I, that, uh. <laughs> I texted him because I had heard you had done. So I guess you could fill this in like, but biology has like a writing school. What is that? That recording I heard of you and Cam- Camilla or Camilla? Oh, 1729. Uh, 1729 is kind of like this organization that's like vaguely towards network state. It's like people who are like supportive of his ideas and community. And I'm not the right person to kind of define it. But yeah, they have like meetups. And so Camilla invited me to kind of go talk to some of the people that are basically like, I don't know if they're compensated or they're just kind of like a writing cohort. And so they like get together and they write essays that are sort of under the mission of 1729, which is kind of technological progressivism and sort of a network state kind of vision of the future. And they just like help each other edit and share and do a bunch of cool stuff. I think yeah. I told Eric, shared that privately, a podcast. But I, I think that's where you heard it. Yeah. So I saw it yeah. because it, they made a recording. They, they published it as a podcast. I listened to a podcast and I text Eric immediately. I was like, you know, a lot, I listen to a lot of writers on podcasts and there's a reason they're writers, right? They're fantastic writers, not polished speakers. But I was like, Eric, you have like this crazy skill set where like you can distill very complicated information and you make it in like, again, like you took Naval's entire philosophy and made it in something you could download in your brain in a weekend. And I was like, but not only that, you, the way you communicate and the way you speak is really, really impressive. And that leads me to the next thing. Then I was like, hey, like, can I call you tomorrow or whenever it was? Because you mentioned something on this 1729 recording that you did an eight hour or an all day Zoom with Bology, right? Yep. I always want to say Bology, but it's Bology, right? I think either will work. Like how okay. you pronounce it, it, it says more about where you're from than where he, what okay, he wants yeah. it to so, be. And I was like, dude, what was that like? And Eric hit me with intense. <laughs> and, <laughs> And so uh, now I've told that story a million times. In fact, I told it on the non-investment advice podcast yesterday and I tell it in private conversations. But I want to like go into like how you're thinking about your work because you and I have talked about it a bunch. And I think the idea that you have is really, really spectacular. And then there's just another idea that I think if you're comfortable sharing, you were talking to another writer who's unbelievably successful, who sold millions and millions of books. We don't have to say his name if you don't want to. But you guys were having a discussion and this idea behind the discussion I have stolen and think about all the time now. And it just came from like a random comment you said. And you guys are both launching new books, right? Soon or next year or whatever. And you ask each other the question, like, who had the best book launch in the world? 
And what were they doing that was different from other people? And I was like, damn, that's a fantastic idea because it could be applied to Better Bookkeeping, yeah. Founders Podcast, every single thing that you're working on, the books that you're writing. So I just Study the like, greats. Yeah. Figure out what everybody so I just else wanted is to doing. Like, yeah. Like, how are you? Now, when you describe yourself, you say, I'm a writer. Is that accurate uh, now? Yeah, I, I did a really bad job of this for like a year as I was trying to figure this out. And now I basically would say I'm a writer and investor. So I write books and I do early stage tech investing. And I usually just stop it there. I consider kind of like the podcast, the newsletter, Twitter, like all of that to either be next to it or under it. But yeah, I, I write books and I write sandwich, checks. Basically sandwich. Basically my Twitter connoisseur. Bio. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. <laughs> so this book is coming out Q1 of next year, most likely. Right. Yeah. Fingers crossed. If we if we move a pace, in, yeah. So we've been talking about distribution, the weird shit that happens on the internet when you like make things that other people are valuable. I know Bology is like going to put a lot of weight behind him. He's got a giant audience. Do you have yeah. ha, like what are you going to do for distribution outside of him? I mean, I will. This is interesting. I haven't like really put my head here yet until we're kind of like really on the on the conveyor belt of publication but like my subconscious is kind of churning on it and i think i'll i'm gonna spend a lot of time on it over the next couple months and there's a long list of stuff that is like absolutely good and worth doing and a lot of its podcasts and newsletters and getting the story clear and talking about who this is for and reaching all the people a sufficient number of times but I think it's interesting, like you, what you said about your experience with Patrick and then going on Invest Like the Best is really, I think, a good model because I know the power law governs so much of this, right? And like whatever the the single biggest thing is that happens, whatever that is, will be one, impossible to orchestrate ahead of time, <laughs> two, hugely dominant on the outcome. And I don't even really know what that is. I can make some guesses about what it might be, but even if I knew what it was, I can't engineer it. We can just try to kind of like buy overcast ads and like reach Mitchell's and try to like see if you can get the dominoes to fall to topple the enormous domino that is like the sort of kickoff of like a long-term viral thing. That's, that I, I think that matters. Do you, have the honestly, do you like, think you already have the network for this now or do you feel it's something you need to keep building and like, as you get closer to launching the book, I mean, you always, you always sort of like keep working. I think, I, you know, we know a lot of people who carry a lot of weight and who sort of, who I think people trust to make good recommendations about stuff like this. So like, I'm not, don't feel like I'm starting from scratch and having already done one book, I think it's going to be, I know a little bit more about like what's coming and how it's going to go and, you know, who might be helpful. You know, if Bology ended up going on like Rogan or whatever, <laughs> within a few months of the book coming out that would be that would end up being the thing but like you can't no amount of money or planning or effort can create that and you don't know what rogan's going to be listening to in the morning to or somebody right, was yeah. talking i'm trying to think about who that was but they were basically like who was telling me this story where Oh, it was on my first million uh, that Sean was on some talk with somebody who I, I forget the guy he does some kind of conservative news thing or, or straight news thing. And Rogan loves it. And Rogan had it on. Yeah. And he just was like, yeah, Rogan listened to it one day. And then six months later, we're on it, like yeah, yeah. back to the overcast ad of you do not know the chain of events that are all going to hit that are yeah. going to take place that are going to create the outsized result 
you, you, you should have just done nothing else. You said something that, <laughs> right. that came to mind. So I think like one of the advantages we talked about, like the, the weird ways, like that you can always ex- extend a moat, right? And in some cases, like when you're building physical businesses, like the moat of Rockefeller Standard Oil is like obvious, right? These are like uh, sure. Vanderbilt. They're like the J Gold, like they're controlling physical infrastructure, right? But when in like the world that we operate in, like there's a million different ways to create a moat. And one of the ways I think I'm creating a moat in this constantly expanding is that I have over 20,000 highlights in this app called Readwise. And they're all indexed, searchable, and they're like highlights from books and also notes that I have. So I, while I'm hearing Eric talk, and I do this all the time, it's like something, I don't know why, but like something you said, I was like, oh, that might be something. So I typed in the word power law, right? Because I knew that the highlight I'm looking for that relates exactly to what you're saying contains that word. And I have, you know, 15, 20 things. But it's from zero to one. It's Peter Thiel's book. And he says, mm-hmm. if you do start your own company, you must remember the power law to operate it well. The most important things are singular. One market will probably be better than all others. And then this is your point. One distribution strategy usually dominates all others too. Yep. I love that book. So, uh, like back to that like great point you made, Eric, about better bookkeeping and who's the early stage customer. It's like, you almost let that person find themselves in this weird way. And once they've found themselves and you've seen it three times, you start backing resources around that. And then once you can predictably spend $1 and get one subscriber, you just hit it as hard as you possibly can until the owner of the company won't let you buy ads anymore. You know, (laughs) like you, you just exploit it until... Literally, it just won't work anymore. But it's only, I've heard people tell stories about like, I knew it was going to be this and I executed and executed and executed and then it worked out perfectly. But that's just not been my experience. Especially, yeah, I mean, your expectations are going to be off high or low. And like, I, I just want to do a bunch of stuff with, you predict, if I do X, I get 10. And like, I'm happy to do X all day long, but there's a chance that like every hundredth time I do X, a million comes out the other side. And I mean, to David's point earlier, that that's creating on the internet, right? You never know what things are going to kind of like go viral or what influencers are going to pick up what book and share it with their audience. And you could try to, in the initial work, to create something that has those characteristics, but you can't. Taylor Pearson talks about it this way when he's like writing a book, which I think is the single most helpful thing anybody can hear about writing a book. Every book as you write it is either a brick or a feather. And every book launch is you throwing that as hard as you can. And if your book is a brick, you can only throw it so far. But if it's a feather, you can't throw it very far, but the gentlest wind will like keep it afloat and it will carry on farther, much farther than you could have ever thrown it. And I think that's like a really, really interesting, like 99.5% of the marketing of the book is done in the writing and you can't make up for a subpar non-world-class book with any amount of marketing exposure. I don't know how to sell books or market books. I only know how to write a book that people sell to each other. And that's why I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't have any like tremendous words of wisdom about launching a book because it just all comes from the craft. This is where we deviate somewhat. And I think I annoy you, (laughs) even though you're too nice to ever use those words, because like the way I look at it, right? 
when I just talked about like this giant like honeypot of information that I've crewed for a long period of time, Eric has similar things. It may be more narrow. Like this is what I learned about Naval. This is what I learned about biology, but it's like a million, like there is four pieces of content that Eric could post that would benefit somebody else's life. That is a micro lesson, like a little piece of educational content. So if you look at all of the content that I put out on what I do for founders, right? That is not my own idea. That is Michael Bloomberg. I read Michael Bloomberg's autobiography, right? At the end, uh, if you ever look in like the show notes of founders episodes, I, I what I'll do is like after I'm done with an episode, I'll listen to it again myself before anybody else does. And I literally take notes. I'm like, oh shit, that's interesting. And I, li- I like, I'm listening to myself. I'm like, oh, I need to write that down. <laughs> wow, but David, I, you're so smart. <laughs> no, no, no. It's always like their ideas, not mine. But what I, an hour into the Michael Bloomberg episode, I had realized I didn't know, I knew his name. I didn't know anything about his business before I read the book. And I realized like how much of his media uh, operation is was like this giant magnet for selling these really expensive mm. subscriptions. And like, if you could sell, if you could use me, educational media to sell thirty thousand or twenty five thousand dollars a year subscriptions, whatever it is, like you could do that for a book, you could do that for a bookkeeping software, you could do it for a podcast, right? And so I go, he's got a lot of these roundabout ways to get in front of potential customers. He's repurposing the information that his unique business collects. That was something that I realized yeah. as I'm reading the book, and I'm like wait a minute, he has a very unique business because it's it's like all this financial information you can't get anywhere else. It's like, yeah, but I do too. And it's like, why don't I repurpose the information that my unique business collects? Eric's research process is incredible. He is spending full time, again, it is the way to think about it. It's like, he has built a business that collects unique information, right? You can then repurpose that into small bite-sized forms of information that if my Twitter right now is fucking growing like crazy. I don't know what happened, but like these like screenshots uh, I do where I take- You went on invest like the best. No, I, that that too. But like, I'm talking about like the performance of individual tweets, right? It's like- But the, I told you this from the beginning. I was like, David, make them all look the same and yeah, find yeah. what works and just do it over and over and over. The formats So you talk about So your, I have your... a really small, like you guys have much bigger Twitter followers than me. Several of my tweets in the last like few weeks, this, this format is basically, I have a headline, which I work on like I rewrite a bunch. I don't spend like forever because I'm not a good writer, but like I rewrite the headline probably like five times. And then I take something from my Readwise and put it on and like italicize, screenshot that and then put it out, right? The reason I'm bringing this up, there's some that like have gotten millions of views. It's an individual tweet. Like I don't have the Twitter audience that I, the performance of the tweet and the size of my Twitter audience is like, I'm, I'm, batting way above, like I'm shooting way above or fighting, punching way above my weight, I think is the the tortured analogy I'm, uh, or metaphor I'm looking for there. But I just think this is not a unique idea. I think Eric, I, I would find it fascinating because I follow Eric on Twitter. If a couple times a day, it's just like, this is Bology on building a company today. This is Bology on recruiting. This is Naval on whatever. Because even if, let's say you follow Founders Podcast on Twitter, right? And you never listen to the podcast. The goal is like, okay, all of my social media is a way to me say, hey, this is what I'm into. If you're into it too, you might like listening to my podcast. But even if you never listen to the podcast, I want people to get something out of there, right? And I just think that is a very basic idea that can be utilized over and over and again. And I tell people this and I say, hey, this is really working for me. Like, let me give you an example. This is a, a real example. So I take a... I was going through the show notes of this podcast I did for when I read Mark Andreessen's 
blog archive, right? I did this podcast like back in 2018. I was rereading the show notes as a way to like refresh the highlights. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I take, I copy it from the show notes. I put it on Twitter. I do that. Takes, you know, five minutes. Then I record, I set up my phone real quick. I record a short form video to put on TikTok and Instagram, right? Uh, of me rereading 30 seconds, right? It's like, hey, Market Juice is a billionaire investor and the inventor of the web browser. This is what he said about X. And I read it. And I go, if you want to learn more at the end, go listen to episode 50 of Founders, right? So that what I just described, which I'm trying to get Eric to do, and I think he hates me for this, is that what I just described, right? 10, maybe let's let's say 20 minutes from start to finish. That tweet got like hundreds of thousands, like I think it was like 250, 300,000 views on Twitter, and it got 250,000 views on TikTok. And it gave me the like the largest one day spike of my downloads on a day that I did not release a new episode. So it was clearly, that the one where the where the pod was behind the paywall still? Or no, no, <laughs> no, that happened. That happened previously. That's how I knew this. Okay, so he brings up the fact. That's how you knew uh, it would work. Because, like, again, my assumption is that we don't know how to market podcasts. We are going to discover something that moves the needle, and and even if something moves the needle in the past, like, there's always going to be a new way to to do that, right? And so what Mitch was talking about is like, I had done this and it, that that's another example. It got like hundreds of thousands of views on TikTok, right? Which took 10 minutes. So I, I took less than 10 minutes, got hundreds of thousands of views. And then I go, Hey, if you want more, listen to episode 50. I didn't know that that podcast wasn't out. And so the comments, this is how I knew this is again, accidental, right? This is how I knew, Oh shit. Cause a lot of people put up clips on social and I know it, it, it may give you some listeners, but ending it with, Hey, Here's 30 seconds of value. You want more? Go here now. Is it just works for if your end goal is to not just make content they can watch on TikTok or YouTube, but actually convert them into podcast listeners, which is my main goal, right? And so what happened is just lit up in the comments. Is this some kind of fucking joke? What is going on? This episode doesn't exist anywhere. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. They watched the video. They heard what I said. They went to the link in bio. They followed the podcast on a podcast uh, app. They search for the podcast. They didn't find it. Then they get mad and they come back to the video. I'm like, I should do more of this. What do you think of that? I know you're like, hey, I got to focus 90% of your time is writing. But like, what if you hired, like you have EAs and stuff? Yeah. When you I hear mean, me say, hey, this is working for me. You should use it for your business. Well, like, what's your, I think what's both, your, what's your response? I'm so jealous of both of you because like, you're both sitting on content powder kegs that there is a bottom of tax and financial advice that you can give to people where you're just saying the same thing over and over again, where like, I can only think of so much stuff where it's like- You should repeat it though. David Ogilvy well, says, I, like, you're not advertising to a standing army, you're advertising to a moving parade. I, t- I tell people that all the time. And yeah. my best tweet ever that wasn't a Costco hot dog was just a repost of another <laughs> tweet. But like you, David Sinner, have- however many thousand quotes just sitting there that are all a seed for a content of either copyright a headline, do a TikTok ad, write a thread, put it on LinkedIn. And then Eric Jorgensen, you can be the James Patterson of, you know, you can write a book on everybody in their the in their own words series. It's like, it, it's forever expandable content that's just sitting there, you know? So what do you think so, when I say this? We Because me and Eric have had this conversation like a half a dozen times. <laughs> David, if it makes you feel better, I have now started posting stuff on TikTok and like YouTube clips. So we're, we're chipping away. We're getting some of it. The basic answer though, is that I'm not 
I'm not sure that like views on social have quite as direct of a impact on my business as you might think. The two main revenue sources is like book sales and like subscribers to the fund, right? Investors in the yeah. in the rolling fund. And I like it's not obvious to me that like sharing more biology quotes is going to sell more books or have subscribers come into the fund. I, I know that those are I'm also like send- long-term butterfly wing overcast ads and that like it's more exposure. But when I sit there and look at like a to-do list for the day, it's like, do I want to spend that incremental hour on getting more followers or writing the next chapter? Like I pretty much always choose to write the next chapter. What's your, okay, that's, that's actually a good thing to think. Which is a good, like, yeah, so like, what's the, what's the what's mix? Your breakdown? Is it is interesting? It yeah. From making the marketing, right? What is it? Is it 50, 50? Mm-hmm. Is it 90, 10? Cause my, this is where I fucked up and I'm, I'm only saying this cause I'm a huge fan of your work. Right. And I want more people. To, I genuinely believe if more people read your shit, their lives will be better. Right. So I fucked up because it was 95% making and 5% marketing. And then everything changed starting at the beginning of this year when I was like, I'm doing 50, 50 mm-hmm. because like the podcasts are obviously very difficult to grow in general. It's just like, I'm going to spend the first half of my day making the podcast, which is like uninterrupted reading. The second half of my day is practice, which is I got from Michael Jordan biography. And it's just rereading old highlights because then I use that on future episodes. And then I use the rereading of old highlights as marketing, repurpose those. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, when we get off this, I'm going to send you a TikTok that I think might change your mind. There's a guy named Hank Green, I think is his name. No, they're brothers. They're like YouTubers, science YouTubers. I've seen those. Hank is like the young one. It's the older one. John Green, I think is his name. I saved the TikTok and I'm going to send it to you. Okay. And obviously, you know, he's got 600,000 followers or at this time, I think like 600,000 followers on, on TikTok or whatever. He's been creating on the internet forever, right? He's got a large audience, but he makes this video where he's like, guys, I don't know what the hell is going on. And this is how I know this works because it happens to me. And then I tell people and they don't do it. I, it's like, it's, it's, it's like, it goes back to me and Patrick were having a conversation the other day about like planning our world domination. And we said like, because I keep telling, I meet with a bunch of investors and, and people that do what he does. And I'm like, why don't you start a podcast? And they're like, oh, no, they don't even understand how valuable it is, right? And I go, I quote Ed, Edwin, Land, uh, Edwin Land, where he's like, if you want to keep a secret, the best way to keep a secret is to shout it from the rooftops. So like, I keep shouting this, hey, if you have a unique brain and a unique like way you spend your day and you can repurpose all the stuff you're learning and like, you might as well put it on a podcast and point people there and magic will happen. I promise you if you're, and it may take a long time, but it will. But anyways, John Green goes, Hey guys, something's weird is happening. Uh, I'm getting all these calls from my publisher and like, we're having like spikes in book sales and I'm not doing anything, but sitting at home making TikToks. He's just, just the idea of him making more TikToks up, not even related to his book. And he's like, I'm not even mentioning my book, but you guys are going to my TikTok profile, right? And the only thing, the only link he had was that book. He was selling more books. Mm -hmm. I I think it came out either like a year ago or months ago. Like it was not like a a new launch, right? But he's like, hey, just thank you. Yeah. Think about that. Just the, he's getting hundreds of thousands of views on his TikToks, right? Which again, is not always correlated to the, the size that you're following on TikTok. And him not, and I'm default aggressive. I'm like, listen, I'm ending my TikToks, like listen to my <laughs> podcast. So like th- this guy is not even saying that. And he's still, it does sell books. That's the point. It does. Yeah. It's just, we don't understand it. So therefore we don't do it. And all the stuff, these these breakthroughs that, that have been happening are accidental. They're just experiments. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Well, let's just see. And TikTok just happens to be one vehicle, right? Where like 
it took a while to get going. Like the first month I had like a thousand followers. The second month I had like a thousand followers. Then I remember the day happened where like one of them hit, I got like two or 300,000 views in like two or three days or whatever. And I saw a direct correlation. I told Mitchell about this. It was like, Mitchell, do you remember the percentage? It was like, it, it bumped my overall downloads by like 20% that week or something. Remember, I, 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 told, I don't remember. Oh, that. yeah, yeah. That was bananas. So like, it, th- like, that's the whole, and I'll, I'll end there. It's just like, dude, you're sitting on a valuable pile just like I am. This shit is working for me. I know it'll work for you. And even if yeah. right now, if it's, hey, we talked about this the other day on the phone. Even if it's like, fuck it, I don't have anything to sell. Okay. Then they sign up for your email list. We talked about me and you talked about Louis C.K. for a while and like his yeah, ma- yeah. the mastery that he used for his email list. You just yeah. do the Hermosi. Just tell him you have nothing to sell. <laughs> you know, that's it. I knew that's that guy was lying do. from the first minute. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to he sell you. He tells me they got yeah. nothing to sell me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but that's it. I'm working on it. Yeah. But but no, but Hermosi has a good idea that I liked his video. I think Mitchell was probably the one that sent this to me where he said, I couldn't crack short form until I understood that it's just spoken tweets. And mm. he goes, oh, yeah. I'm just going to take my tweets and I'm going to look at the camera and speak to them. And I was like, I'm going to take my highlights. I'm going to look at the camera and I'm going to speak to them. And then I'm going to say, yeah. you want more from this guy? Go listen to 15 fucking podcasts I've done on Steve Jobs. <laughs> like that shit just works, dude. And again, people, some people are like, oh, I don't want to market, whatever. It's like, do you believe that your product that you're making is going to make somebody else's life better? And if you do, fuck your feelings. You have a moral obligation to get good at marketing. It doesn't matter how you it, it also just give give away the best ideas you could ever think of. Everything that you could possibly sell people for any amount of money or love, just give it to them. I mean, Dude, Eric, we your do. books we are give free. Them. Why do yeah, people the books, buy them? The books yeah. are free. Like I was thinking that when David was talking about that yeah. he had the paywall up. I was like, I literally did the opposite of that. I gave away a paid product that everyone expects yeah. to pay for. And I think it reached more people and then resulted in more sales because of that. Like, exactly. So tweet or, four times a day about the shit you're learning about Balaji. Turn them into TikToks. And again, do whatever you... I'm not like, dude, it's none of my business. I just like, again, this is a place of love. Because I'm not kidding. Like, I, there's uh, the, the, it is, the most... It's definitely true. Book. I intellectually deeply appreciate and respect the power of media to drive business. And I preach it more than I live it personally probably for like comfort reasons basically like also it's work but like it's just easier to do what you do and put your work out than to super super aggressively market it and risk like over promising and under delivering i was listening to there is impossible uh, for you to under what the over promise you're sitting on gold dude like you you know this because you get i mean how many dms or emails have you gotten as a result of that almanac and Naval? they talk about how they impacted their life You've probably got tens of thousands, if I had to guess. Messages. That's a lot. Yeah. How could you get a steady stream? And that's also where we have an unfair advantage. People like me and Eric, as opposed to like, if you're building services for businesses like Mitchell, it's like, I, I'm sure Better Bookkeeping is going to kick ass. It's going to be great. It's going to save me a lot of money. The amount of inbound messages you get every day, if you have a podcast or we write books, you have an email center and all this other shit about, they just tell you that your work is impacting their lives. And then all I do is like this morning, the perfect example. You guys are making. We should like, send more nice notes to Mitchell. That's what you're telling no, me no. right now. Mitchell, so you're like more the little thumbs up. The, the <laughs> shots of espresso yeah. that you see me knocking back here. It's because I wake up at five thirty in the morning and I shoot out of bed like a rocket because I'm so goddamn excited. Because every day people are like, "Yo, what you're doing is impact. It's like helping me build a business or start a business or it's fucking helping me motivate a team." I'm like, "Yo, I don't, I don't deserve to sleep. Like, get up and get back to work because this is making an impact on people." 
Preach. So even if you don't want to do it, man, I t- like I know you got these like secret like you have all these leveraged people all like helping you do shit. I was listening to um, you know who's a perfect example of this? Mitchell mentioned my first million. I just listened to the interview with Ryan Holiday on mm, my that was first a great million. episode. That, that was, was a good one. Mitchell sent ex- me that one too. Yeah, that was excellent because Ryan Holiday is like. I felt better because I'm like, how the fuck does this guy put out so much high quality content in the volume he does? He's got a team of 10. Okay. I didn't know that before that. I'm like, bro, this is amazing. And then you see it because if you follow him on all these, like I follow him on YouTube and TikTok and Twitter and all this other stuff. It's like, oh, he's repurposing. He's like, okay, there's a tweet. That tweet is now a TikTok. Then I'm going to add some other shit to it. And now it's a five minute YouTube video. And then it's going to go in the daily stoic. It's a 500 word daily stoic email. It's like, he's showing you the blueprint. For people yeah. like me and you. And yeah, yeah Con- it did make me content recycle. The yeah, waterfall. So he, like, yeah. Even if you only have one person, like right now, or two people, I have one person that's that's semi-helping me, but we're, I'm sharing them with the network at the moment. But even then, and most of it's like going to that, but my point is just like, dude, he's showing us the blueprint. Think about all the opportunities, how many books he could sell, the podcast, the success of his podcast, the growth. Like, that's not just exclusive to him. Why aren't we all doing that? It's like he's showing you it's a good idea. So Eric, uh, you're going to go pull out the, the Nivalmanac and, and start reading some clips. I posted five TikToks in the last three minutes. (laughs) (laughs) My first beat on the, the thing. And I I don't know when we got to wind down, but I said, podcast pill me. So I'm the only one here without a podcast. All of you have podcasts. I did. I did like four TikToks a while ago. But it's like, and then I gave up like a loser. I don't know why David's picking on me. Mitchell's doing even way less than I am. Yeah. I just, I'm a thread boy. Yeah. Because he's (laughs) he's found like, yeah. And I'm not picking on you. I promise you. I know. I know. I I talk about you so much. People are going to think I like have a crush on you. I have a crush on you. It's fine. We, I told you we can we can express affection for other men as men. That's it's 2022, um, baby. No, We're not. Yeah. It's not yeah, taboo I don't care anymore. About that. I just like legitimately, and this is now the seventh time. So I'll shut the fuck up. But like your book literally changed my life. The ideas in the book, like when Charlie Munger says in the Poor Charlie's Almanac that there's ideas worth a billion dollars in a thirty dollar history book. Like that's legitimate. The economic yeah. impact that Eric Eric's book had, if you could calculate it and how it changed the trajectory of tens of thousands, hundreds of, over, it's like hundreds of thousands of people's livelihoods. And then, you know, you, you bump it up by 10, 50, 20, 25%, whatever it is, like the economic impact of that is, it's gigantic. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't even really make, it doesn't even make yeah. sense. You know what I mean? No, but like that's books in general. Yeah. You just, they, they change people's lives. Ideas is really, yeah. I mean, whether it's, it's in the form of a book or a podcast or whatever. So it's like ideas change people's lives. And because your ideas have been so fundamental, like I'm just so fucking appreciative of the fact that you guys put this out and I could utilize it. And then it just makes my life better. My life is a lot better now applying your ideas in your book than it was before. So that's why I bother you so much about it. Yeah. I I hope we have our businesses. I feel like have a lot in common in that, like the impact is huge. It's other people's ideas. And what you said earlier is like, it didn't occur to me that other people couldn't do this the feedback that I get is sometimes like, well, you're like, this is, you have a great talent for this. I was like, this is just, it's just work and like common sense to like organize this stuff and try to put it together in a way that makes sense. It's not obvious to me that a ton of other people 
couldn't also do this. I mean, I'm, I'm deep at it, right? And like, I hope that the next book on biology has the same impact that the book on Naval does. I think it can and reach some of the same people and hope it has a huge impact and people love it and appreciate it and whatever comes next comes next. But so this is the I think idea, founders like does the, the same thing. I appreciate that. But this is the idea though. Like, I don't know if you've sp- spoken about this publicly, but it's just like, you found something that works. It's extremely valuable. You like doing it. Like you said, like it still feels like work, but like you're, it's uniquely suited to you. So the reason I think this is fucking genius is because like, like I just discovered Paul Johnson. I didn't, this guy's been writing books for 30, I don't know, probably 30 years. And what Paul, me and Eric talked about this the other day. So again, I'm trying to take stuff from private conversations, throwing it on the podcast to benefit other people. So, cause I think, I feel what, what I just went through with Paul Johnson, a person like my, my daughter might discover Eric Jorgensen's books 10 years from now. You know what I mean? So like Paul Johnson writes these really compact, like less than 200 page biographies on all these historical figures. He's done a bunch. I've read, I don't know, four or five done, done episodes, a bunch of podcasts about them too. So he had this idea of like, let me take biographies are way too long in many cases, but these people are really interesting. Let me take 700 pages. Let me say I'm constrained to 200 pages. Let's make this interesting. And then write a sequence because what happens, like, I, I think the first one I discovered is like the, his Churchill one. And then I'm like, oh, what else, what else does this guy have? Oh, he's got Socrates. I'll read that. He's got Mozart. I'll read that. He's got a collection on heroes, which he profiles 30 people. I'll read that. What I think you're doing is so genius is because you always talk about the long-term game and that there is going to be undoubtedly a ton of people that buy the apology book. And they'd be like, what else does this guy do? Oh, shit. I didn't even know about the Almanac of all. And then what happens? You, the, these long-term games compound, right? I, I sent out a tweet today about Charlie Munger. He's just like, he started off so basic. Right? He's just like, I'm an attorney. I don't like being an attorney. I'm going to dedicate an hour a day. He sold an hour to himself. And I'm going to learn about real estate and stock investing. And then he talks about the con. He's like, then he figured out, oh, knowledge compounds just like money does. And he goes, I'm a way quote, better. At- I have the quote right in front of me. It was slow going at first, but after a great number of years and thousands of books read, he started to see how different areas of knowledge interplay with each other and how knowledge, like money, can compound, making one more and more aware of the world in which he or she lives. Yeah. And then he goes, I'm a better investor at 90 than I was at 50. And so what I see for Eric and why I keep talking about this is like, dude, so imagine when he gets to book five, book 10, book 12, however many he could do, it's like, I think Mitchell think he, you you put this in in typically like geeky terms, <laughs> like you said something about like my back catalog is like an annuity. Like how did you describe that to me? Because you helped see this idea into my brain. Do you remember how you phrased well, it? Yeah, I mean it's just back to leverage. Like you just don't have to work, and it pays you money no matter what. You're collecting royalties, uh, like like if it were a gas well. You know what I mean? That was just perpetually pushing out money and you didn't have to work because you had put in all the capital, like you put in and the time, you, time you made capital. A point, yeah. You made the point that lo- the longer it goes on, the more valuable it is. Like Eric's in the same exact situation. It's like, they're going to discover him on book five, book six, book 10. And then they're just going to go back and like, oh shit, now I could buy 10 books. So now your, your customer LTV goes from uh, $7 to $28, Eric, let's go. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> but I mean, this it, is, also, you just bring kids or what? what's his name? Sahil was talking about that surface area of luck. It's like just the more yeah. you do, you just make your own luck. And and like th- th- this is the huge difference between like leverage or compounding. Like the, the combination of both is massive. I feel like David has leverage already. If he stops right now, he would still, if he never made a podcast again, he would still have income from the product leverage that he'd done for the last 
10 years, but he's going to keep working, obviously. And it's going to both compound like and be leveraged. And it's like just the extreme outcomes that you see, the crazy high impact people or crazy wealthy people come from combining both of those ideas. And compounding is a lot of airtime. And I don't think leverage gets as much, but it's definitely a combination of both. And it's just the difference in choosing business models, basically, or where you want to invest your time. And that iron test of what happens if you're not, are, are you working on building leverage or are you just one in, one out, or even one in three out? Like it's not always the same. It's so dominant when you see it play out. It's crazy. And then just one piece of advice that I see gets communicated a lot, which I, my own personal experience conflicts with. And so people might find this valuable, but like, like obviously, like I think the most valuable network in the world in terms of like who's on it and who you can reach is most likely Twitter in the sense of, even though I kind of hate the product and it makes me sad to, to use it, like the people that are extremely important and can change your world are on there. They're also on LinkedIn to a degree as well. Right. And this is a main lesson that Trung was teaching me. He's like, dude, you need to go all in, all in on LinkedIn. So people that are, yeah, yeah people that are marketing to other businesses. Like this guy knows a ton about marketing to businesses. Like he's doing it better than almost anybody else I know. He's telling you to do that. Maybe you should listen to his advice. I've started taking his advice and I'm seeing some good results over there, right? And on a, a negligible starting point, I didn't even have a LinkedIn. I didn't even know what it fucking was because I, I don't apply for jobs. Like, so <laughs> this is correct. But what one thing that conflicts is like people say, oh, if you're marketing to businesses, like, oh, don't don't even waste your time with like TikTok because like just little kids or like a bunch of stupid people or like, and to some degree, obviously it's like the easiest app to use. And if it's easy to use, like Twitter's difficult, like to, to make it perform well for you. It's not like Twitter does that for you. You have to do it yourself, which is why mm-hmm. it's, it's user base is so small compared to other uh, networks. But what I'm just telling you is like the benefit I had that other people didn't is the fact that when you own a, when you run a podcast, you don't know who's listening. Like there's almost no, an, like mm-hmm. the analytics for podcasting is like worse. It's not what you think so it bad. is if you don't have it. Yeah, yeah. So, but the benefit I had that other podcasts didn't do where it, this went up being a mistake, but I benefited from it was that I knew who every single one of my listeners was. Because if you did to listen to a full episode at that time in history, you had to sign up. And when you sign up, you mm-hmm. give them my email address. And I'm telling you right now, what happens is people would sign up. They, they discover me through TikTok. They'd listen to a preview. They like it so much. They paid to listen to a podcast, which is crazy. Then once they sign up, everybody automatically would get my email. Then they would email me and they would mm-hmm. tell me where they came from. And so I'm hearing everybody say, B2B is dead on TikTok. It's a waste of time. And I'm just saying, hey, this founder of this company, this venture capital firm's there, this endowment's here. Like just the, I see your fucking emails. And I'm telling you right now, yep. that's not true. That is absolutely <laughs> not true. And, it, and, and part of me is like, okay, keep believing that because I will then build, like, I'll take, I'll siphon these people off TikTok and put them on like the founder's feed. But you already have like 50,000 followers on TikTok, dude. Yeah, but followers, followers is like irrelevant, but that's what people have a hard time understanding. That it's about views on TikTok. It's, it's, I don't give a fuck about followers. I care about views because like there's a people that have signed up. This has happened a few times. They they saw a TikTok that you know had maybe hundreds thousands of views or whatever it is. They sign up and they don't even follow me on TikTok. They just saw one fucking video mm. because when you use TikTok, I don't even like everybody's on their F for you page. And so this is mm. why it's so powerful, right? And I'm I, you know I've told you I've told Mitchell started doing TikToks because I fucking bothered him about it, right? So. <laughs> 
the, did the you start? Are you, are you doing it too, Mitchell? Uh, well, I, I did a few and then I quit. But it, it is uh, interesting that you have these three like millennial, me and David are millennial boomers and Eric's a young millennial. But like we have these guys who all have worked on our brand, have worked to like present our ideas in public to the best that we can. Eric wrote a book. David's recorded hundreds of hours of pods. I'm a thread boy. And like, we all want to like, kind of push this forward. And we all have this, except David, we all have this resistance. And even David does to some extent of like, I'm like, Hey, David post. Like, right. I promise you I will post five post threads, post five of your byline plus italicized. They are like, you have these things, David, that are working and you're not doing enough because you have a, a unlimited content at the bottom it's like the best thing you could do if you're listening to this right now and you've made it this far and you like don't know what to do in life is go find dm me <laughs> don't dm me and um, <laughs> like find content influencers and re do the ghostwriter thing or do the producer thing hold or on, hold find on. them and I gotta, push I gotta, them. I guess yeah, like, I get, I get one of these DMs every single day. <laughs> this is another advantage I have of having email, like knowing people's emails because like when I was doing ads on Eric's podcast and then when it went on this podcast, the people that are listening to this know what they're doing. They're just looking for new ideas. Exactly. Like I was blown away at the quality of people that listen to Eric's podcast and it speaks to the quality of his work because they email me and they tell me, I heard you on Eric's fucking podcast. I just need to finish that thought though. The reason why it's so powerful is because of the way it's set up that when you have a viral TikTok, you can look at the analytics. Over 90% of the people that saw that, right, which were then prompted to make some kind of action, which is I'm pushing them to my podcast feed, do not follow you. That means they're showing you to a new audience mm. all the time. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. so yeah, there's cool. this guy, there's a guy that you guys should, this is the magic of the internet. It goes back to that George Mack quote I said at the beginning, like there's two types of people, people that know they, uh, people that don't understand the scale of the internet and people that know they don't understand the scale of the internet. There's a guy I want you, everybody to look up, go to TikTok, type in Frank New, N-I-U, okay? You're going to see this guy. He's got over a billion views, okay? What does he use? He has his phone up to his fat fucking face, right? And he talks directly into... <laughs> no, there's no production value here. Like, it's... he's His videos are like 15 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, right? He's... Yes, that's it. That's it. And he, I, I'm not insulting him. I fucking love Frank. Frank's my dude. Like, I fucking love this guy. But my point being is, like, this guy started out, and what he would do is, like, he, he was a Netflix engineer. He's, like, one of these fire guys who, like, makes, like, $500,000 a year and then spends no money and then retires early. So now he's, like, in, I think he's, like, 30-something. He's retired. And so, anyways. Yeah. Oh, he's people, TikTok he, Mr. Money Mustache. Yeah. Yeah, so like that. But check this out. So he started out. He's, like, well, he didn't have a social following in, anywhere else. And he would just make like 10 or 15 or 20 videos a day. Why? Because like, it's just talking directly. This is, this should not work. And it fucking does. This guy just sits there. He's got a big brain because he like reads a lot and it's not a life experience, right? So he sits there, takes the shit that he's learned in his big brain, spits it out in 30 seconds, <laughs> uploads it. Then he takes his phone back out and does it again. Does that 10 times a day, 15 times a day, right? This guy did it in a year and a half. This is what's going to blow your fucking mind. In a year and a half, he accrued over a billion views. His issue is like to Mitchell's point. There's no bottom of the funnel. He like didn't, he's just getting views on yeah. TikTok because he's just like I have nowhere to send them. 
I think he did a, a small amount of investing or whatever, but like, he just like send you like Instagram, he just send you like another thing. But imagine like, I was like, why don't I do that? I could do to Mitchell's point, I could do five, 10, 15 a day, whatever that is, right? They go out, most of your followers don't see it on TikTok. And like, I have a bottom of like all three of us had, they ha- we have a something to direct people to buy a book, listen to a podcast, do better bookkeeping or follow Mitchell on Twitter, whatever you want to do. Like get a cost. That's insane. The idea that you could just take a guy, a iPhone, a brain and an app and get a billion views to other humans in a year or a year and a half is insane. And they're like, Oh, these are low quality people watching. I'm watching. I don't think I'm low quality. Like you're out of your fucking mind. No, you're great, David. David, it is, it is like uh, you, it's like you got the digital on. version of a politician just like shaking hands. It's like, imagine being able to shake hands with a billion people. Like, e- even if it's a quick greeting, hey, hi, hello, this is what I think, this is what I like. Yeah, I get that. Especially if you have a good sort of middle and bottom of funnel. What if it, it's like Paul Graham's essay that everybody's read, all entrepreneurs read, do things that don't scale. Do, and he uses all these are you gonna? Right? Are you doing Paul Graham's essays as an episode? Yeah. I wasn't, I'm I, excited I, for I, that I, one. Yeah, I am. Yeah, because his one of his essays, How to Do What You Love, like I legitimately, like I remember laying in bed, I couldn't sleep and I was like, fuck it. I like, I'm going to spend, I'm willing to spend every single dollar I have. I'm willing to go down to zero. And I'm at the time I was married with a kid. Now I'm married with two kids. But like, I was like, I'm willing to do this because I'm going to give everything to trying to do podcasts for a living because I just, I just trusted that I'll figure it out. And so I had to live off savings for a while until the podcast started paying for everything. But Paul, to do things that don't scale, to your point, like, Estee Lauder is the best example of this, right? Where like Dude, your Estee Lauder episode was killer. I listened to that. And I bought that book, gifting it to a friend who's like really into the beauty. You were name checking it really, too. Really interesting one on, on Kobe talking about kind of big it's idea Estee Lauder. It's amazing how many like you never know when you put something out what it resonates. I thought the book was fa- fantastic. That episode went crazy. That episode is the one that Patrick linked to that got me hundreds of paid subscribers back when it was just a paid, like he's like, I think it's episode 217. But my point being is like, she did this to your point. Like you just, uh, the reason I thought about this is because you're like, hey, it's like politicians shaking hands. And she's like, hey, I'm going to touch more faces because her business is beauty. And so she's like, mm-hmm. my goal in life is to touch more women's faces than anybody else has ever lived in human history. And so she would, she built her business by riding buses and riding trains all over the country and showing up if it's a large o- opening for a product or a tiny. It didn't matter. She would show up, right? And she, it, she used the time, her transit time. Because if you're a woman sitting in the train across from Estee Lauder, I think this is probably in the 1950s, 60s. I don't know, you know, right around there. She's going to come up to you and she's going to offer to give you a glow up for free. And she's going to take out the product that she built, that she built with her own hands that contained, that is named after her. And she's going to touch your face and give you a free blow up, free, like, you know, beautification or whatever it is. And she said, (laughs) this is fucking dead serious though. This is why it's so important. This is why, like, I I respond to, which is still the the business model, by the way, of like a cosmetic counter is you show up and they give you everything for free. But you you can do this. You can do this too. Cause I probably respond to like, not every day, but like a lot, like probably like at least 50 messages a day. I can't get to like, I, I try to like, do as many as I can because I think of S.A. Lauder where she's just like, you have to understand three decades, four decades after I was doing this, I still get messages of women that met me on this bus to Corpus Christi or this fucking trained across the country. It, to your point, I mean, if we're playing the, the, the long game, this shit will compound. 
You 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 mm-hmm. took five minutes, ten minutes to make somebody's day, and that person's a customer for four fucking decades. What Gary v, Gary V is the same thing, but digitally, he replies to as many so many fucking tweets. He's making stuff all the time. He's yeah. Uh, one of my first, Constant. you know, I got on Twitter in like October of 2022 years ago, and I remember like we were talking probably about Founders Podcast, about Danny Meyer, and about <laughs> I'd imagine that book. <laughs> Because, you know, and uh, setting the table and then Danny Meyer like chimes in and I'm like, holy shit, Danny Meyer just came by my table. (laughs) Asked me if I'm like having a good meal, you know, and like there is a a way to do that as a just to be a mater d' of your own. So this happened online. This happened because the idea is like I try to like if I find like if I find something that works, I try to share it with other people. Patrick's sitting on this giant like back catalog of 300 episodes too. So he's been repurposing the content and he did one on Danny Meyer from an episode like two years ago. And what happened? Danny fucking quote treats it. And he talks about, man, this is what I love because it's all in the books too. He's like, he talks about the importance of hospitality. And he's like, Danny says in tweet form, he's like, man, I sometimes I miss like the first 10 years of my career. This is a guy that's now worth hundreds of millions of dollars just to shake shack. Who knows what his fucking yeah. real estate or his restaurant empire. And he's telling you as you know, he's probably in his sixties by now. He's like, man, I wish I could go back to the first 10 years of my career when I worked the door and I can actually give individual hospitality. But that's the magic. What, what fucking Mitchell just said. It's like you put this shit out here and then Patrick's case, the people he has on his podcast are alive and they're on Twitter and then they amplify. Yeah. I guarantee you somebody saw Danny's fucking tweet, did not know about the Invest Like the Best episode, maybe has never listened to Invest Like the Best ever, now saw that, followed the link, and now listens. And if he likes it, he's like, oh, he or she likes it. It's like, okay, I'll try more. That is, that's all I'm saying. It's like, just do that, do it forever and let the score take care of itself. I think that the mix is the really interesting thing. So you switched, David, you said you switched from like 90, 10 to 50, 50 mm-hmm. this year. How long yeah, ago? January. January. Mitchell, what would you put your split at? You know, I've hired a great CPA in my CPA firm who's helped like take a lot of that weight off and help me grow the the kind of core business firm. And then on Ari Kosteg, like my wife runs it, Melanie. So like we have a very competent CPA in place or not CPA, but <laughs> CEO in place. Yeah. And then I've been focusing- I heard that the CEO of Kosteg listens to founders too. That's true. Yeah. Now that it's an open feed, she's excited. She can listen to it. And then, yeah, I mean, doing that as well on, I've been spending a lot of time developing better bookkeeping and a lot of focus and, you know, talking every day to my co-founder there, but like, yeah, I, I think businesses that have me as the linchpin of the operating capacity are are not going to succeed very well. So (laughs) finding operational leverage and system leverage has been huge for me. And it's just like, if I'm the keeper of knowledge and the conductor of the train sitting in the middle of my business, it's just not going to go very far. So I've purposefully kind of stepped away to just be like, if things break, because I'm not holding them together with bailing wire and bubble gum, like, yeah. Let them break. So, so wait, like what's half, the split, man? Answer the question. Like, yeah. Oh, you're answer developing the question. better bookkeeping, and then you're <laughs> like uh, marketing for everything else. I think 90 percent of his time. No, if I just I, talk to I, David a, every day for, for <laughs> like know, two or three Eric, hours. I get these texts. He's like, uh, 
and like uh, the my phone's always on D and D, so I'll see like I missed a call. I'm like, hey, uh, I was like, yo, let me hit you back. I'm reading or making a podcast. Stick. I'm basically free all day, bro. So like, <laughs> this is my interpretation of Mitchell. You tell me if I'm incorrect. Mitchell just like Mitchell, Mitchell has, and tells them to tweet about him. That's his marketing effort. Mitchell has hey, fully Nick. internalized your evangelism for leverage in the sense that he realized, just like if you if you listen to the episode I did on the founder of Kinko's, it was very similar to that. He's just like, I'm not going to have any operational experience or any operational um, responsibilities. Day I'm going to go and yeah. all he would do is travel around to all the stores, the Kinko stores figure out what's the best fucking ideas they had and then spread them over through the network, mm. right? That's how he chose to spend his time. And that business was so successful that when he sold it, he was a high school dropout, if I'm not mistaken, and he winds up having buildings at UC Santa Barbara dedicated to him, right? Patrick just did another, uh, actually interviewed him live. I got to listen to it because me and Patrick, w- way before I was on his network, me and him were texting about that book because I don't know if this is public or not, but Patrick is investing in a company that essentially... Paul ran his entire business on voicemail because he's dyslexic. He can't read. Like he, mm-hmm. he, he, he doesn't like to read. So he's like, fuck your email. So he would just do these like voice memos, right? So he'd call into this fucking number and say, he just hit you with like a two minute fucking idea. And then you could listen to it on demand whenever you wanted to. And so there's companies that yeah, are developing slack. that. Yeah. But audio, audio. So audio there's slack. companies that are yeah. developing that idea. So Patrick had been telling me about that. And I was like, oh, fuck, dude. And I sent him all, I was like, dude, Paul did this that idea fucking 30 years ago. And then he winds up reading the book and then he fucking has a crazy network. So he gets Paul on a show. So again, weird ways this disconnects, but my interpretation of Mitchell, and then I got to go to dinner guys, if you don't care, if we can wrap this up in like five minutes, sorry. Was my interpretation of Mitchell is like, (laughs) my interpretation of Mitchell is like, I have, you know, like obviously co-founders on all these things. They have certain responsibilities and he can think about like, I can bring in business through Twitter threads. I can bring in business through rainmaking because fucking, you know, he's got more customers than he can service now for his CPA business. Like I would say the split is almost all like, what is it? 75, 25, 75 and growing the business, 25 and actually operating the business. Yeah. I mean, like the cost sake thing. I spent weeks and weeks and weeks setting up all the processes, setting up all the systems, training the engineer, training the sales guy. And we, uh, they've been better than I would have expected. And now I only show up when people need me and they don't need me that much. And like, yeah, I, I think it's really just. So then you have no fucking excuse not to do a podcast now. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> no, dead, I'm dead. I'm dead. No, no, I'm, I'm dead fucking serious, dude. You are a super connector. Like I, I just gave fucking Eric his flowers in, in public. Like I like Mitchell, you were, I told you before I text him. I was like, bro, after this, like I had this crazy experience when the podcast started blowing up and I was like, Dude, this is all traced back to you. And I told him the story that I just told on the podcast and he was completely dismissive. He's like, no, it's fucking nothing to do with me. I'm like, dude, you you saved my fucking ass. Like you helped me so fucking much. So anything I could do for you, like I'm indebted to you. But the, the, what I realized about Mitchell is he's a fucking super connector. The dude knows everybody. Everybody that I know that knows Mitchell says nothing but good things about him. Same thing with Eric, right? You have a fantastic reputation. And so- since you have a bunch of free time, Bill, you can you can get to anybody you want that'll come on your podcast. You know a fuck ton of people like Chris and Michael Gurley and all these other people that and Eric and me that have podcasts. You know what I mean? Like you have distribution built in. It it may take it may not be valuable day one, month one. It I fucking promise you. I fucking promise you. It'll be in unbelievably valuable three, four, five years from now. Just fucking do it and don't quit. Like you have the time. Fucking do it. You you put on the docket before we start talking today. Poison pill me? What the fuck did you put? Like, 
Red pill me. Uh, podcast pill me. <laughs> podcast pill. Pod, pod, I just podcast pill you. Just fucking do it, man. Like, if, if you think being fucking... the only CPA on Twitter is valuable, imagine being the only CPA with a good podcast. But like your first guest list could be fucking Girdley, Chris Powers, Moses Kagan. You know what I mean? Like, like you have the fucking insane network. Like Sam Hinkey probably fucking go on it. Like I'll go on it. I know Eric would go on it. Not that I'm not in their these class of people. I'm not putting myself in their class. You know what I mean? But like my point is, dude, you already have it. You're an interesting fucking dude. It'll like help you learn how to like tell stories and communicate. It opens up unbelievable opportunities for you. Like fucking do it. Oh, there we go. Uh, I'm, I'm sweating. You, you gotta this? do it. <laughs> this whole episode was wind up David Center and let him go. And we're, we're working on it. That was our goal. And we I feel like we've accomplished our goal, but we've accomplished man. all of our goals. I feel like we we are we all left with more ideas, more inspiration, more excitement. Uh, David, do you feel like you got ideas too? Do you feel more educated or just like you you had to like give us a clinic in getting our shit together? No, no, no. That's not how I, I, like, no. Like, I don't feel like I have my shit together. Like, if you were to ask my own assessment of like, I give myself right now, like, I, I think I'm I'm pretty good at podcasting, so, but not nearly what I can be, like, with more practice and experience. Like, I'm fucking, I re- didn't realize this about myself until like, really, you guys have helped me this. Cause like, you know how Mitchell describes me to other people, what he told Chris? He calls me I'm a guessing maniac. it involves the word sad. I, I was yeah, literally okay, yeah. gonna say a maniac. You you <laughs> are like, a maniac. He's like, I call you a maniac. And like I didn't understand the 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 like by how I come off to, to other people. So like if people understood, like I haven't this is like fucking day one. The reason I end every podcast with hey, this is 272 books down, one thousand to go, and that number one thousand never fucking changes. I literally have people like they they were listening to like episode like two fifty three and they're like wait so you're gonna stop on one thousand two hundred fifty three that's oddly specific I'm like no like, no you to need to listen to like, some more episodes yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna stop but no I I don't think I have my shit together I would give myself right now a six on podcasting talent and a two on marketing so like mm. it's Charlie Munger's uh, orangutan theory which I discovered by reading Catherine Graham's autobiography which was recommended by Jeff Bezos. That's how I discovered the book where Warren was telling Catherine Graham when he was doing the investment, he was like tutoring her. Imagine like she had to learn how to run. Her husband was running with the Washington Post. He took a shotgun or a gun to his head and fucking blew his brains out. And imagine coming downstairs, seeing the father, I think four children, you know, fucking blank brains on the, the bathroom wall and then realizing, oh, fuck, now I got to run a business. I've never run a business in my life. Right. And so Warren identified it. He thought it was a good opportunity. And Essentially, she had like a personal one-on-one tutor to learn how to run a business. And it was fucking Warren Buffett. So this is like in the it's 1970s. Amazing. So she that told, they were having a lot of these conversations, which again, dude, all I do is steal your guys' ideas. Like you influence my thinking. And she she said that Warren told her that, hey, I subscribe to Charlie Munger's orangutan theory and I'm going to butcher it. But it's like, hey, a smart man walks into, uh, gets in a cage or like is sitting next to a, a orangutan. They're, he talks to an orangutan. The orangutan eats the banana uh, after an hour, after 30 minutes, just from the guy hearing himself talk, he leaves smarter. And the orangutan just leaves full of bananas, right? So Warren's point was that it's extremely helpful in all your and anybody's professional capacity to have somebody you trust to organize your thoughts with. I spend an amount, there's a, I have more people that I could talk to than time in the day. And like, I spend a lot of time talking to you two because I fucking respect the hell out of you. And I learn a lot from you. So the answer is, yeah, like 
there's going to be ideas that I take away from every single conversation I have. Like just that, I told you that framework that like, literally, I, I think I've mentioned this like half a dozen times on the podcast. Like the idea is like, identify the person that's best in the world at, at what you want to do and ask what they're doing differently. That's an idea I got from you. That's not my idea. I, like that's an idea, like fucking Mitchell being relentless about organizing and putting out more content and like direct. He told me the very first fucking thing. Mitchell's the first person I met in person that listened to the podcast, right? Now I meet a, a ton of listeners. Really? So he, he sent me a DM. He was like, bro, I love your podcast. And I was like, dude, I appreciate you fucking tweeting about it. He goes, where do you live? I go, oh, I live in Miami. He goes, oh, I'm actually here for a conference. Do you want to have coffee? And I think I was like, oh, do you want to have coffee tomorrow? And so I walk up. Mitchell doesn't say, hey, David, nice to meet you. He goes, why the fuck aren't you more famous? <laughs> that's the first thing he said to me. I don't I think he said autist. Uh, yeah, immediately. I, I said, but that's what he said. He goes, why the fuck aren't you famous? And he essentially lectured me in a, in a, like a very kind way. He's like, your bottom, he, he said it, What's the word you use? Like your bottom, not the bottom of the funnel. You called it like a... Yeah, I mean, like you just, you have the goods. Most people are yeah, out there what, working and don't have the goods. Yeah. But what's the, anyways, so like you're... Yeah, the like bottom you have of the this, funnel. This bottom of the funnel. He goes, fix your top of your funnel, dummy. Like that's my interpretation. And he said it in a nice way, but he was telling me, he's like... You're Change doing your marketing mix. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. So yeah. I, I take ideas from, from everybody. I try to learn from everybody, but I've learned a fuck ton from both of you. How how much better? You said you changed at the beginning of the year. We're ten, almost eleven months in, right? Ten months in. How much ground have you covered? It, you can use whatever metrics or units you want. Like since changing, he that said he's mix. a two in marketing. He was like a negative three, so he's up, <laughs> up five. Well, I, I yeah. mean, well, because I, I, you know, I, I when think you say better, is it like fifty percent better? Is it like twenty times better? Yeah, it's it's more than magnitude. Yeah, because I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I don't like, I didn't. And and also we discovered like be running these experiments, thinking about essentially I started with the years, like how do I get more listeners, right? Yeah. And then if you work backwards with that, that leads you to remove the paywall, that leads to seek out partnerships with Patrick. And, like, and then Go so on my podcast. point being is like, yeah. I, I see like Ryan Holiday's content system and I'm like, he like, reads a, a ton, like, but I have the content too, like very yeah. similar to his, but his execution has been way better than mine. And so it's Hermosi. like, how do you get to the execution? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Hermosi's somebody, execution's uh, like if, if uh, Heaton, Heaton or Neil Patel was here, he would like say, go hire someone who's currently running a content engine for someone else, it, poach them immediately, cut them loose on like hire somebody who's already done this before and apply them immediately to your own business. Because there's people who are experts at this. Like you don't have to reinvent the thing, and you don't have to do it all yourself for sure. You don't have to hire and train someone to do it. There's people who can knock this out for you if you want to have a Ryan Holiday org in a year. I feel like that's doable. My little boy just ran in here. Um, so I 100% agree, and I think that's where I'm going because I have this idea okay. where it's like, well, anybody like the, the benefit of having a podcast is like I use the example of trunk. Like you can go, there's people in the audience that are world-class at what you want to do. So like I have people mm -hmm. I could talk to that like literally get hundreds of millions of views a month on short form that I, I'm constantly picking their brain. I go to trunk. It's like, how do I get better at Twitter? How do I get better at LinkedIn? Like there's a million yeah. different things that you could do, but the one thing and that will be built out, but part of this also is I just naturally like to learn. And so, yeah, Dude, that's, a, I, I, that's a leverage battle, actually. Like, it is so hard to, for somebody who loves to learn and execute and do stuff yourself and figure it out, it is so hard yeah. to not have the reflex to say, like, oh, I'll go acquire that new skill and instead say, I will go buy that outcome. 
through some combination of like humans and tools and like that's a very different thing because you're still going to hit a ceiling of your own time well yes. before you well, run out of like outcomes. Now we've we've progressed to the part where like I share a lot of what I learned, but then I have some weird like ideas. If I say it out loud, people are like mm -hmm. you're fucking weird. Like which I could tell you later, but like all the developments in technology are flowing to people like me and like you guys and like anybody that's creating educational content or content in general. And so I just, my whole point is just like the, this is a longer discussion that I don't have time to do right now, but like the <laughs> optimal size of a company is clearly decreasing. And yep. That is, in my opinion, going to accelerate to the point where you are going to, I, I talked about this on like episode like 100 of Founders. This is like, it's inevitable that we're going to see a single person billion dollar company. And so th this framework is like, how can you design within constraints and really figure out, because like, I just told you, I was rereading my highlights from Sam Walton's autobiography. And he came across this where it's like, he didn't have money to grow. He couldn't compete. He didn't want to compete in major cities. Essentially, the idea of like his hypothesis was, hey, what if I just like build these in these like towns of like 6,000 people? Like if I just compete on price and I control cost, will people drive out to my strange stores, even if it's a town of only 6,000 people, just to save money? That was the hypothesis. The first Walmart, he's like, oh shit, they will. He had he had a constraint. He winds up doing experiments within that constraint. The, main, the meta point here is he had a constraint. He wound up doing experiments within that constraint. And then he developed, he discovered or stumbled upon, he's, he's like just a long tail of business that nobody was addressing that created one of the most valuable fortunes in the history of the world. And so that weird fucking idea, and I don't think this is going to make sense to other people because this is like in my mind and I haven't figured out how to way to explain to other people. It's like that, the concept behind that weird idea is like, how do you apply it to a one person media company that is targeting and making content for the most successful people on the planet? Then it gets into weird fucking things where it's just like, and some of the stuff I can't talk about because like, I don't even understand it yet myself. I just know like, I'm like a fucking pig sniffling for truffles. It's like I smell them. I just can't see them yet. And I got to fucking figure out where the fuck the truffles are. So like, that's a David Ogilvy line too. See, I can't even come up with anything <laughs> unique at all. Um, so I, 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 my point is like, I, I don't want to evade your answer. It's like, I don't know the answer to the question. All I know is that like spending time learning these skill sets, I, it's not going to be wasted time. Even if I can't capitalize on it yet. And with that, I have to go to dinner. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Mitchell and I can keep going. You go to yeah. dinner. Yeah, we got we got another three hours in us. But yeah, David, I love this, you. This is You're a good, good man. proof that we we need to do this again and make it a recurring thing because we it always have stuff to catch up on and teach each other. Yeah, it and, doesn't matter if other people listen and enjoy it or not. Uh, I enjoy it. And yeah, this is worth doing. But if you are listening, we do care about you. Um, listen, I'm going to boogie. It, yeah, I do. But, might not. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to boogie. Uh, that's another line I got from Trung, by the way, because he said it. He started saying it. This is how influential <laughs> podcasts can be. Because I I've was been watching NIA since it came out, right? And then he starts saying that. And then I start saying it in real life. And I'm like... Where's like I'm fucking imitating people again, but like memes, it goes back memes, to dude. like we <laughs> fucking influence again. Like the mind is a powerful place, which you feed it, it affects you in a very powerful way. Um, dude, guys, 
seriously, thank you for the opportunity. Anytime you want a podcast, whether it's Mitchell's unnamed podcast <laughs> or your podcast, dude, I'm always down. Like I, I thought about that. I, I, almost, I cut that part out of the Kobe interview or Kobe podcast you were listening to earlier, Mitchell, because he winds up getting injured. I tell the story where he had like very similar to Jordan had for the love of the game clause where a lot of NBA teams won't let you play. But Jordan says, no, I want it in my contract. I can play no matter what. Like I can play fucking pickup game down the street if I want to. Mm, And obviously it goes against the interests of the owner. Kobe was the same way. He winds up injuring himself playing a pickup game in Venice Beach. He's already in the NBA. and He's fucking injuring himself because he just loved to play. And so anytime people invite me onto the podcast, I don't, some people are dicks where they're like, oh, what's your download numbers? Or like, oh, I get like, I just say yes to everything. Cause I just, it's like the equivalent of Kobe wanting to play basketball is me wanting to podcast. Uh, So anytime you guys want to do this, just text me and I'm there. Free alpha. If you invite David on, he'll bring the heat and he will. (laughs) You guys are way too nice to me than I deserve. I'm dead serious. Like both of you have been hugely helpful to me and fucking the podcast. So like, I, I, you, again, you do incredible I'm, work and we want everyone in the world to see it and experience it. And I think it makes people better and smarter and stronger and able to live better lives. I think, I, I mean, I, listen, I appreciate I'm, that. I'm a I'm, child of Mitchell's love of you, but, um, <laughs> no, we're like, yeah, it, I am very fun. careful to not put people like, I, I know that wherever we direct attention matters and whatever you put in front of people, they tend to believe or they tend to absorb some of just like the, the memetics thing. And so like when I, see somebody doing work as amazing as yours and with as much chutzpah as you do it like i want to shine a light on that and i want to bring other people's attention to it and i want to because I, I truly think it makes not just their lives better but the world a better place when more people are influenced by like high quality yeah. high integrity work like this yeah you're both like i'm indebted to both of you i love both of you like i put a lot of my fucking life energy into this and for people to say they get value is just like it's hugely motivating. So I appreciate it. Yeah, Anything I can awesome. fucking ever do for you guys, please let me know. Sorry I have to boogie, but I th- we've been talking for like three hours. Let's go eat dinner. Boogie boogie. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm hungry too. All right, guys. Well, I'll t- I'm sure I'll t- talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> <All right. laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, I have individual episodes with both David Senra and Mitchell Baldridge. Uh, you might also enjoy the Rolling Fund series about Bo and me and Al investing, uh, our startup investing fund. It's got a very similar energy to this episode, the kind of people bullshitting and conversing and meandering. Uh, my most popular episode of all time is the four-hour episode I did with Bology recently. I highly encourage you to check that out. And if you're so inclined, please take four seconds to leave a review in your podcast app. It is the single best way to help this show grow, and it means a lot to me. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate you hanging out with us today. This is all about laughing and learning, building leverage, and compounding our faces off. What our brains aren't evolved to comprehend is how much leverage is possible in modern society. There's a revolution going on, man. Uh, Go pay attention to it. Get a part of it. Get exposed to it. You're going to make money along the way. You're going to have fun. The call to adventure. This is the new form of leverage. Take a few quiet moments for yourself, breathe deep, and be well.
The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.